tip today in association with Slatteries of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slatteriesgarage.ie Welcome along to Tip Today on this very, very cold morning indeed. Hopefully we find you extremely well. 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. You can call Emma. She's looking after the programme today. Coming up on the show, uh, Johnny Johnny Luby is live with me. We'll chat in just a moment's time. We'll be hearing from some listeners about their beloved pets this morning. And this month, December, is Constipation Awareness Month. We'll be chatting about that as well. Brain health with uh, the great Michael O'Doherty of Bioenergy Healing. Andrew will join us to talk about uh, the sitcom Cheers and uh, the Friday panel, of course, will unpack the big topics of the week. So all of that and much, much more on the way. You can text and WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now I'm hearing from my, my lovely sister-in-law, Catherine, that the uh, Bella Voce uh, concert uh, that was due to take place tonight in Ferry House Church at half past seven is postponed. It will now take place on December 16th in Ferry House Church at uh, half past seven. So we'll remind you of that again next week. But for now, just to make sure that uh, you spread the news around that tonight's concert in Ferry House with uh, Bella Voce uh, is cancelled. Johnny Luby is with me. Good morning, Johnny. Good morning, friend. Is it cold enough for you out there? I got a tease, yeah, a cold one is tight. <laughs> what, what was the saying on the car? Did you say minus what? That's minus six. Was it? Yeah. Well. Yeah, uh, all the way in, yeah. And the traffic was very heavy coming in from uh, Care into uh, Clan Milder around 20 past eight. You brought in a bit of turf for the Tip FM stove, though. <laughs> I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sneaked it in. Which is very yeah. nice. Yeah. What did you notice about uh, diesel and petrol prices? That's right, Jeffrey. I just see it. Like, uh, I saw petrol this morning there at 157, you know, and the diesel at 175. Uh, I mean, the prices are brilliant mm. uh, compared to what they were. But yeah. I suppose if it was one twenty, when it was one twenty, we said it'll go up to one seventy five. You know, but yeah. uh, like the prices are good, but there's no point in going down to a filling station and getting uh, ten or fifteen euros. You might as well fill the bloody oh, thing up. You know, if, uh, yeah. if you think that it is value, like I mean, but I've seen it then uh, within. 400 yards of uh, uh, one pump and another where it was 186 against 175. So you have to shop around? Well, you have to certainly shop around. It's as simple as that, you know, that mm. uh, 11 cent a litre when you're putting in maybe 60 litres like this. Six, makes, that's makes seven, almost seven euro makes a bloody difference. That's right. Just shop around. Can you, know? you begin with the Mulnahone ladies, please? Oh yeah, friend. Uh, I suppose <laughs> the Mulnahone ladies, the bane of my life down there. <laughs> Look, it is a wonderful occasion for Isn't them it, yeah. uh, to be in an all Ireland final and for themselves and their families and their club, their county, their province. They represent everybody and uh, their pride and passion and that and for them to go to Crow Park it's magnificent for them it's mm. days like that that uh, what did your man used to say my mama told me there'll be <laughs> days, days like this, this. Yeah. you know and <laughs> to, to yeah. savour the atmosphere because it all goes uh, so quickly uh, uh, all these finals you know the next thing is it's all over but they have their chance on Sunday next please God to uh, uh, to win it you know because they were beaten I think last year in a f- final mm. uh, and that but uh, looked as wonderful for them and of course 
our girls in drum and inch as well. Uh, we have to depend on the girls to fly the flag of blue and gold for that's Tipperary. tomorrow, is it? Uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. They play up in a place called Ashburn in County Meath. Uh, they, they play the North... Uh, the Northern cha- uh, Champions mm. or the Ulster Champions and uh, look I suppose down here we'd say Drum and Inch have come through a tough campaign because there's tremendous uh, camogie in Tipperary there with Clonality Ross Moore and Akati Rogue Nockavilla Keekins Cashel uh, Burgess and all them wonderful clubs out there mm. and uh, that Drum and Inch came through a tough campaign and a tough campaign again then in Munster all the way up to the final and winning that was wonderful of course our man that does the sports on the Sunday they there uh, uh, I wasn't able to go to the Munster final but uh, that, well, I can't think of his name that, that does the GA on the Sunday's report and uh, Paul Paul Carroll no it? not Paul the, the other fellow he's a buff muppet church around that oh area. Stephen Stephen, Stephen yeah. yes yeah. and uh, brought us the trills and spills of that Munster final you know it yeah, was fantastic yeah. and look I think he's live again uh, on Tip FM this weekend and look the very best of luck to the Drum and Inch girls I'd love to see them winning you know mm, uh, be and that's yeah. going to be fantastic and I mean, we, we, we were there in um, uh, up at the cottage in Lockmore the other day we met some, some of the girls oh, yeah, friend, yeah, that was a, stuff, a great yeah. programme I was listening to it for a uh, a blessed ah, my business and the are gone and of course I tuned in to uh, you were Lock stuck with, you know, with the it's, world it's, yeah. it's a great parish uh, friend uh, oh, t- you know for what they do in hurling and football they haven't <laughs> a huge uh, uh, population wise you know but they look they'll they'd probably be a small bit worried to know have they the talent coming through you know mm. but there, there will always be hurling and football in Lockmore Castellani yeah it's but a real it is, football island there oh, yeah, in the middle of all the hurling yeah, it is brilliant you know it is brilliant for them and, yeah. and of course the McGraths like they oh, they carry themselves well that's mm. what I can say De- about decent you know. people that's for sure uh, Ross Gray had a great run but sadly that's right Jeff and all of us were behind Ross Gray again mm. and for them to uh, get to a Munster final it was brilliant they did themselves well but they were beaten in the final by Mo- Mona Lean of Limerick and uh, which two or three Tipperary people are involved in big mm. time and uh, the thing about it is is that Mona Lean uh, I suppose Limerick hurling seems to have a small bit of the upper hand on mm. Tipperary uh, it kills you that, to say that doesn't that, it that, that grieves me but uh, uh, <laughs> when you see Mr Brislain saying like the Tipperary hurling has to get itself mm. in proper order you know what, what did you make of those comments uh, I thought I thought he'd look He's telling the truth. Yeah. It's as simple as that. There's no point in, in hiding, uh, burying our heads in the sand. Tipperary hurling is behind, uh, as can be seen in the intermediates and juniors and uh, everything else. We're well behind. Uh, and that's so it is up to the clubs mm. themselves because it all starts at club level. And what to, do you put it down to, Johnny? God, I don't know, friend. I'll tell you, uh, the thing has just moved unknowns to us uh, mm. with strength and conditioning and all of that. Look, it's it's a 24-7 job for the county. Like, I don't envy Liam Kell, that, mm. that, 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 that gig he has at, with Tipperary Hurling. Mm. They have a long way to come in, hurling and football. You know, uh, we seem to be a hit and miss uh, in the hurling and football. You know, we play well one day and don't play well till mm. down to consistency and that. But we're look, in the hurling in the league, I think we're down to play leash in the first round. Uh, I don't know where that game is but no disrespect to Leash like I presume Liam Kale will be out to 
to uh, put out the best team he has mm. at, uh, at, the, at the start and see where does it lead us to you know you have Dublin away above and, uh, in Parnell Park that'll be a hard one mm. you have Antrim away Antrim were the, nearly the cause of beating Limerick last year uh, in the league so they'll all be geared up for Tipperary you know the, we'll still say it we mightn't be going that well but we're the Man United of <laughs> <laughs> I love that description what about rugby Johnny well done to Clonmel I suppose yeah fine one, I better yeah. congratulate Clonmel yeah. because I think last weekend I forgot somebody some uh, uh, Ali Goodale whatever that is <laughs> tuned in and said uh, that uh, I never mentioned Clanmel yeah. they played well and that look they beat Brough on Sunday by three points I think they got the bonus point out of it fair play to them and uh, of course Cashel went up North and had a huge uh, uh, game up there. They were beaten by six points, which is within the seven point score line to get uh, the bonus point of one. And then they also got another bonus point because they scored uh, four tries. So uh, they're at home this weekend to Blackrock. It's going to be a huge game because I think they're top of the pile. That's on in in uh, in Sparefield there in Cashel uh, on Saturday. And then of course you have Munster friend uh, playing Toulouse in Toman mm. Park in Limerick. You know and inside in Limerick of course on Saturday night then you have the big ledger final in the dogs where I think five of the dogs are from Tipperary of Sean Burke just out the road Rachel Wheeler from Golden Graham Holland in Golden and all of those and Pat Kilfile uh, uh, above in North Tipperary and Pat Buckley just over the borders uh, there it's a 30 or 40,000 uh, uh, euro prize Burke's dog in Trap 6 has tremendous early uh, and that if there's any bit of a hold up in traffic behind him he will win the ledger yeah. uh, and that but uh, then a, a couple of hours before that I think you have Munster and Toulouse and that's going to be a huge game again you know but when Munster start off the Heineken campaign as I'm gone older now I'm gone from uh, going into Toman You've great old memories though I'll bet. I have great memories yeah. yeah I remember a good few years ago I suppose it is when Munster was starting off the campaign and the two young fellas I bring them down to the school bus and they said uh, for the fall the following week Munster were playing in the Heineken Cup final they said dad and they're only going to school we're going to the Heineken Cup by god lads I said if you're going I better go with you <laughs> so off we went friend but uh, and where'd you go Cardiff was Cardiff it? Yeah, yeah Cardiff Arms Park and it was magnificent there the, the, the crack was absolutely brilliant and of course it was they were minding me linking me around and that from uh, pillar to post but we were in a fine pub called the Yard Bear and we went back into uh, the Ormond uh, terrace of houses I'd always remember the name on account of Nina Ormond and uh, we kept into a house there John Hanley knew somebody that knew somebody that gave us the house but your man that thought there was only five or six of it was 14 <laughs> But uh, there was a big heading on the paper. They were laid out better uh, than they would be in Tom Fogarty's <laughs> Mottery in Tipperary Town. You know? But uh, I met Tommy Stack, the horse trainer, the morning after I was going down the main street to the match in Cardiff. You know, it's a wonderful uh, place, uh, that, that stadium, to think that they built that for the millennium. Mm. And tis right in the middle of Cardiff. Mm. And you wouldn't even notice there, friend. You know, it's... Uh, well buried inside in the middle yeah. of Cardiff and uh, that but uh, we met Tommy Stack walking down he called over Gerard you know he was the eldest he said your dad looks desperate <laughs> 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 I was wearing some bit of a wig so you but, weren't in good shape yeah you? but of course what did we do friend uh, for the millennium in our knowledge here in Ireland we put up a spike in Dublin about 300 feet in the air I can't understand what genius came up with that and it is so sharp above at the top that a bird can't even perch on the backside 
right on it. I think it's crazy what they do. So that's what we did. That's what we did. Yeah. You're better off to do something properly. Was there a coverage of you in the examiner around that time? Oh, there was. I was uh, president of Kilfiekel for my sins. And uh, uh, examiner carried one page of a huge photo, you know, the monster 16th man, you know, which I was big into then. I remember uh, going down on some bit of a bus with the lads and the crack was absolutely brilliant. I was doing some bit of a fictitious commentary. Alan Quinlan's mother uh, uh, was uh, on the bus and uh, dead and that. And uh, we had a wonderful time. Uh, I'd never forget them. Go on. Uh, them and days. Did you go on the Late Late Show? That's that right, Jeff. And we were asked up on the Late Late Show then and uh, my missus couldn't come. So I knew there was dinner above. So I brought Jim Sandy with me. Jim Sandy's a good man to eat at dinner. <laughs> They were an RTE. Yeah, they were lashing at the team above. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was uh, uh, look, uh, it was to relive the memories of Cardiff and what it meant, you know. And Munster had won. It was brilliant, you know. I mean, to win the Heineken Cup and to be there. Yes, of you know course that was, it was the fantastic yeah. uh, setup. I was very sorry to hear about the passing of Michal O'Mara. That's right, Jeff. Yeah. And look, our sympathies uh, uh, to the family of oh, the late Michal O'Mara, gentleman. You he know, was here for so many years with Ian Ganoella. That's right, and, yeah. and just a lovely, lovely uh, man. A lovely, lovely man. Yeah. Uh, and of course, hugely into the GA, and yeah. uh, I think he was secretary of the South Board for thirty-five years. And or a great like historian that. of the a GA. Great, obviously, as well. look, yeah. I had that, and of course, his program was uh, uh, always look forward oh, uh, to him. Beautiful Irish as well, yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah. And of course, friend, uh, there yesterday uh, we lost another man in, in Borlehan, Seamus Lehi, mm. fine holler, and uh, uh, Seamus's funeral uh, is today in uh, Holy in Borlehan and Holy Cross uh, and that and I first came across Seamus in, in Lacey's pub in Ballydine playing cards uh, and that you come across wonderful people play, playing nine uh, six and a nine you know yeah. the crack I love the crack friend you know oh, sure. it's, it's, uh, and that last night I actually toured up there as well to play rings they play rings on a Thursday night do you ever play the rings? No, I never played them. Yeah, uh, Betty is a dead I didn't realise that was still going on. Oh, yeah, yeah, she held the board there and Con Ryan and many, many more. The, they love oh, playing great, the rings, you know. That's a belly dine, isn't that's it? That's right, yeah. Oh, brilliant. I'll have to pay pay a visit as well. Honeysuckle, that, that was a disappointment. Twas, yeah, friend, but she was going to be beaten at some stage, you yeah. know. Uh, and Were you fact, talking to Henry? Uh, yeah, I was talking to Henry de Bramhead, you know, with to sympathise with him on the yeah. death of uh, Jack and that. And uh, look, a wonderful, wonderful people there. He's yeah. dead and mum uh, and that looked as tough times from of course oh, Rachel Blackmore our own lady out the road as well uh, look I think t- she was after winning 17 or 18 races on the trot mm. all top class races and uh, I suppose the Mullins's horses and uh, of course Brian Atchison that owns the Emigrant Rest here and runs the horses under the pen name uh, in brackets of Rob Corr mm. called after his two children uh, Brian has the Emigrant's Rest just over the road a wonderful pub here in, in Clonmel with the with many more and pubs the old as bridge well. there, yeah. But uh, uh, like a Tiapo trained by uh, Gordon Elliott was a 20 to 1 shot, you know. And they probably, uh, I suppose, she will run again, please God, but she mightn't run till Cheltenham next right. March. She may or may not run at Christmas or in the festival. I don't know what the programme is for her, but uh, I'd say she'll give it one more lash in Cheltenham and see what happens, you know. Well, hopefully so. But, I mean, you, you can't continue to win, you know. No, that's right, that yeah. Like, there's, always, there's always a downer, isn't it? You know, I talk about Tipperary Holland, like they're winning in 61 and 62, and then Waterford. Tipperary were probably 10 to 1 on. 
to mm. beat Waterford. Lo and behold, Waterford beat him in the first round. There was no back door in 63. And lo and behold, Tipperary won in 64 and 65. So they probably would have won five yeah. in a row. We were talking about that on the programme yesterday. Uh, is a new book out uh, called On the, Sol- uh, the Shoulders of Giants. But they spoke about the Hell's Kitchen. Oh yeah, John you know, Dyle, Mick Mahal and Kieran Carey. Of course, tremendous half back line as well that time. Mick Burton's Tony Wall and Len Gaynor from Kilroan. Yeah. And uh, then you had Theo English, the man with the broad shoulders, oh, and yeah. Mick Roach, a wonderful yeah. holder. I see his anniversary is this uh, week uh, on the on the, pa- on the local papers. Then you had Jimmy Dyle, you know, the, the stylish Jimmy Dyle, uh, Larry Kiley, the uh, man that rode above in uh, the RDS yeah. show jumper. And then you had probably, in my book, one of the greatest of all, Liam Devaney. Played in 14 positions, you know, from that lovely neck of the woods, Boris Eilie. And uh, then on the full forward line, you have Donny Nealon, uh, the teacher from Burgess, yeah. uh, also taught down here in Grange for a good few years. And I think he played, he won a South medal as well. Uh, Donny Nealon, uh, Sean McLaughlin and Mackie McKenna, I suppose, Babs came on then in the latter part of that uh, 60s campaign. They were a wonderful team, you know. It's great, isn't it? I, I love the comment yesterday about uh, if you managed to get past Hell's Kitchen to score a goal, you wouldn't get past them going out. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely fantastic, you know. But uh, They want to know, are you going to the match on in Golden on Sunday? Who's playing, though? I don't know. I don't know. Ask Johnny, is he going to the match in Golden on Sunday? I don't know. Yes, I don't even know who's playing. I know uh, one of the one takes uh, me 100% on, on Sunday. My uh, attention to detail will be unbelievable <laughs> listening to uh, Tip FM. Uh, and tell Johnny that Mullinahone will play tomorrow, Saturday. Um, uh, put his sods of turf on the fire and watch TG Carr at 3pm. Saturday, not Sunday. We, we, I thought we said that. Uh, we'd hate Johnny uh, to miss the game. Uh, his sister, Betty, played for Tip with uh, the Mullinahone man in the late 1970s by the That's way. That's right, yeah. She was uh, on the first Tipperary team to uh, win a ladies football all out. Was she? Yeah. Isn't that great? Had a text from her last night says this listener uh, wishing as well. So there's, there's a nice right. tie up there. And, yeah, friend, I suppose uh, I'm just looking at a couple of more things there. Uh, someone, you'd, somebody on there during the weekend they commented that the, the government about the government they said uh, this government is quite is uh, quite good government. Quite a good government. Mm. You know, uh I don't know, friend. I mean, like, if you look at the things, uh, 96% of consumers uh, are worried about uh, price increases. Another half to three-quarter percent added to uh, interest rates. The health system is in turmoil in my book. The uh, education needs far more teachers. Mm. You know, they're trying to stop the teachers from taking a career break. Mm. And the only reason that they take it is is that they need to get Mm. more money. But the the irony is that the minister is on a career break. She's on a career... Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, I'll tell you. But uh, like, it's like everything else. Like, I mean, they can't get enough teachers in Dublin. How could you? Yeah. With the cost of houses and you living, couldn't. you couldn't. And the whole bloody lot, yeah. you know. Uh, the 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 toll prices are rising. Housing is in turmoil. The tourism industry needs far more uh, beds, etc. Yeah. And the drinks industry, the price is going up. How can you say this is quite a good I government? I, I would say like they're okay. Yeah, uh, you know, but uh, like I heard this morning as well that they uh, to get construction together by twenty twenty five they will need sixty thousand more construction workers coming into the country. But where are they going to live? <laughs> well, I, they, I like, don't know. 
I do not know. The Minister for Health, look, they'll probably leave them there because nobody else wants Nobody it. would want it, no. You know, in the in the changeover. They'll probably leave Norma Foley there as education. They will leave Stephen Dundee there and help because, I mean, what can you do in two and a half years? You know, yes. devil you know is well, better who, than... Who would it. want it? Who, oh, who, who, who would want it? it yeah. um, so many other things. The racing, of course. Racing. Oh, yeah, Frank. With the big racing in uh, at Christmas in uh, Limerick for the four days and, of course, Leperstown as well. They're the two big meetings. But mm. prior to that, on the Sunday, we have that big meeting in Tullus, which is run out of cards and everything else. That's on the 18th of December, the Sunday before Christmas. Mm. There'll be a huge crowd in Tullus as well. Uh, there, it's, They seem to gather in their droves. And if you're going to Tullus Racecourse, go early because it's certainly uh, worth it for the crack and the atmosphere and everything else. And bring the youngsters, let them no, belt sure, away be, the be, finest. Be mighty all together. The uh, World Cup, Johnny, have you a prediction for us? Uh, yeah, I think Portugal might. Uh, well, I've, I, I've taught all along, but listening to experts that were putting me off, they said Portugal, no. But I, I would think Portugal will not be too far away because when you have the likes of Ronaldo, he might be 36 or 7 or 8 years of age, but when you have the likes of him to bring on uh, even at, or even probably starting, but which they won't mm. now, because the guy that came in instead of him knocked in three goals the last day, I think yeah. Portugal will be there or thereabouts, you know, they're all going Brazil but some of these top teams like Brazil and them, they do have an off day yeah, you I know, suppose, and, yeah. and uh, that England would one say, God forbid <laughs> no. One would <laughs> No, I'll tell you I Have they a shot? Uh, they have a shot, yeah. yeah You know, there's no uh, question about it, you know uh, but when, of course, when was the last one? 1960? 1966 Six, was wasn't it? Yeah, with, yeah, with Charlton and, uh, yeah. and that, but I mean, like that was a Like the Tipperary Hunter Bobby team. Moore Bobby Moore, yeah. Norman Hunter Like, they, yeah. they had a huge team You know, of talents and that uh, Them uh, Them uh, Charlton, uh, his brother Bobby Charlton, yeah, those. Like, yeah. they were wonderful players, you know. Uh, and, that, and I suppose we do actually associate uh, with the English players more naturally from watching mm. the Sky Sport and all of we that. We still would know. hate for them to win, though. Yeah, I'd like Should, him. I'd like him. Should if they never pos- shut up? Yeah, I'd like if it is possible nearly win. <laughs> if I could use the word nearly, but uh, I so suppose- somebody saying they would disagree profoundly at the notion that this government is okay because as a mother and full time carer of a special needs son, uh, we're all left behind, and I'm sure you go. Along oh yeah, with friend, that, I go along with that, of course. Uh, yeah. Friend, and look when you look at, uh, we'll just say Clonalty Rossmore Vintage Club light up for Christmas 2022, and it's it's in aid of I hope I pronounced it right, A L I C I A Alicia, a wonderful little girl there who was in hospital but in, now in school in uh, Clonalty. They have a truck tractor and care on Saturday, uh, December the 10th, with registration from five o'clock till kickoff will be about maybe seven o'clock. But uh, when you look at the likes, of we'll just say Pat Corcoran and George Berry and the wife and TJ Donnelly and of course Michael Fahey and the uh, work the that great, they have, great people, you know the work yeah. that they have put in yeah. uh, and that they have a light they have a light show run at 7pm 20 pound 20 euro entry per vehicle and uh, they have trophies rosettes and spot prizes when is that on again Johnny? Uh, t- uh, tomorrow evening tomorrow Saturday evening, evening and okay. it's the place to be and of course then uh, you have the Nina one on the uh, 18th okay uh, is that Albert Purcell's? Uh, I think the, uh, the Nina one. Uh, it's the 18th, yeah. It's on yeah. the same day as the Tullus races, but it's not until five o'clock in mm. the evening. And uh, you'll have Albert Purcell coming in talking about that, I think, we in the next couple next, of days. But that's huge, course. friend. I was up there last year. They, they estimated that 25,000 people wow. were in Nina. 
It's incredible, isn't it? It is, yeah. And, uh, you know, friend, with the way we're going into Holland, that with, if the McCarthy Cup was to come to Tipperary, there would be 25,000 <laughs> people in Dina. We'll uh, nearly have to be introduced to it. But, you know... I, M- mention the two Nels, will the you? The two Nels, yeah. Nelly O'Connell, bingo, is flying in Golden Eye. She wasn't on to me there lately, was but it not? goes ahead every Thursday night, the same as in Glen Gould and all the, the other areas, Cashel uh, Bingo Hall on a Saturday night. But, of course, the other Nell, uh, she's probably not up yet. But when she gets up then, you see, uh, the plain facts of the matter is everybody tells her, oh, he mentioned you on the radio, and they tell her all the wrong things. So I did say to Nell that I'll give her a rattle uh, on, the, on the radio. And what's Nell's second name? And, uh, Nell, Breen. Nell Breen. She is a mescal from uh, Borla. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah, hey, a wonderful family, long associated with that Borla and Duella area in Holland, well able to play cards, and uh, herself and Joe are a, a, a lovely good. couple. Wasn't that the family who had the cure for... For shingles. That's right, yeah. Right. I have no doubt about it. Well, yeah, they, I, I actually got a shot at the shingles one time, and I remember going over there. You know, God, you're bringing me back memories. Uh, now, like, <laughs> but Nell won't get up, will she? Uh, to listen well, to the uh, top uh, of the program. Uh, you see, that's the, that, I, I just said to her. She said you'd have to come back to eleven o'clock, and I says, well, "Where do you be?" She says, well, "Myself and Joe, we'd be in bed." She said, and I says, "What are you doing?" She says, "Do you think I'm going to tell you and that clown of a friend?" Corey, <laughs> Mind she your said. own business. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, I've no doubt. Look, I love meeting the uh, crack like that. You know, we're in Pet Foxes on Tuesday night after a Monday night. Well, Monday night after Michael Sherlock, the Lord of in his funeral. We met all the lads at the funeral, the wife, Eileen, and that. They're very, of course, naturally, mm. they'd be very lonely because Mick was a, yeah. a lovely guy. But we're in Foxes then after that, and we had a, a good old night. And of course, Fox said he's. Every time I meet him, he just lifts, pulls up his britches and shows everybody all and sundry the mark I gave him when my eyesight wasn't hectic, you know. But I suppose, Fran, look, at this time of the year, it is always a sad time for people that lost their yeah. families and your pets. Yeah, I know, yeah. And all of that, we'll be you know. We'll about that later. Yeah, we can be very closely associated. Uh, uh, you know, I was very, very, very close, uh, closely associated with a couple of good greyhounds mm. I had, you know, uh, and that put them on the couch and my missus had to move on to an ordinary chair, you know, and that, and hey, it was fantastic. And, you know, as you get older then, friend, tis, something just dawned on me there now, it is harder to tie your lace. Laces, I hadn't been down to tie the laces. So last night, Mary, Ryan and Donald, her husband, they were sitting on the high stools above in laces. Mm. So I said to me, I'll get up there for a second. <laughs> so I put my leg, I tried to lift it up on the stool and I pulled the bloody muscle. But Mary said, you will not mention that on the radio. Mary, she's actually Mary Brown. She was, She's very closely connected to the, the Sinn Féin TD, our local representative, Martin, Martin yeah. Brown. Yeah, she's oh, one of those Browns. Right. Uh, Great family. That, oh, here, wonderful family. Yeah. But I suppose to go back just to sympathise with everybody, you know, it is... It is uh, it's a tough time. Oh, it is tough time. Tough time. But uh, you, you mentioned there at the start. Of course, there's, there's always something new every week. There's Father's Day, Mother's Day, there's Santa Claus Day, there's this, there's Daffodil Day, there's the whole lot of days. And now to think that is constipation month. <laughs> Mother of God. <laughs> Have you anything to say to us about that, Johnny? Not yeah. a screech. But if it, goes, <laughs> if it goes on for a month, we will be constipated. <laughs> Mother of God above tonight. Where did they come up I with know. it? But Someone, of course, it's, it's probably a serious problem. It, it pro- <laughs> what do you mean probably? <laughs> it is, yeah. Well, I normally take two spoons of magnesia followed by a spoon of cod liver oil. Every, every day? Well, no, no, no. When I get constipated, <laughs> to make you sick as a dog, but you have to get sick, friend. 
Ja tästä kun mä usin, one end of the other. One end of the other. Hey, I better... I... You know, I can never judge where your conversations are going to go. <laughs> Somebody's saying, wasn't it your buddy that's referencing me? Wasn't it your buddy, Gareth Heron, that said, made the statement about our so-called government being Fina Gael? It says here, you see, I love the way I get associated with all the different... Bod- it's your buddy, Matty McGrath, or your friend, Michael right, Lowry, yeah. or your friend, Alan Kelly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, uh, anyway. Anyway, friend, look... It Good takes luck, all Johnny. kinds to make, to, to make it, a world. I just look when I when I come to the TDs and uh, but well, the first thing I must say is thanks to the county council for the work they're doing at the moment. His big work, uh, salting the roads and sending the roads yeah. and that. Fair play to the lads. Some of them out there since all night, probably. Absolutely, and yeah. and you know we're we're always slagging and well, giving out and whinging and stuff. But yeah. you're right. Yeah. And uh, and uh, thanks to Michael Fitzgerald, of course, for filling the potholes on the Fourpenny Road. <laughs> That's such a blatant plug, Johnny. Good luck, Take right? And of, of course, uh, his brother John. I just see there there must have been war in the Fitzgerald household. I think John must voted, have been. They voted yeah, against each other against the, uh, against the rates. The, the five percent rates, him, you yeah, know. Yeah. But uh, they're not look, talking. I'd say. They? <laughs> oh, they're, yeah, they're big buddies. I have no doubt about it. All right. But uh, I suppose look, we, when, when we do talk about uh, TDs, you see, I'll, if I'm uh, alive, please God, the eighteenth of this, no, the sixth. 17th or the Tuesday before the Friday before Christmas the 23rd mm. uh, we will apologise for everything that we have said wrong about them all but uh, in the meantime we let down the cotton bear and I do watch everything on the papers and that you know and I, I do keep memories of what Leo Varadkar said or what Michal Merton said uh, and that and I see M- Michael Ring won't be flavour of the month for saying uh, about um, Varadkar where he said that we probably won't lose the electricity over Christmas. Mm. Michael Ring, his own TD, said them words aren't good enough. And they're not good enough. They're not good enough. No, no. People need a bit of certainty. That's you know? right, yeah. Johnny, look after yourself. Thanks thanks very much indeed. It's 9.34. Back in just a moment. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Yesterday we spoke to Anne-Marie Troy, a pet bereavement counsellor, and we covered coping with uh, the loss of a pet. Now, a few of our listeners shared their stories about their furry friends, and we heard some heartbreaking experiences. However, one of our listeners, Catherine, was in touch, and it really is a Christmas miracle regarding regarding her dog, Oscar. Catherine, good morning to you. Good morning, John. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Lovely to talk to you today. Will you tell me about Oscar? Um, yeah, Oscar is a lecture, and um, this time last year I rescued him from the pound in um, Clearhan, and I took him for a few weeks that I'd foster him, but then I actually adopted him, and I had him, got him back to the skin and bone when I got him, and I got him back to good health and trusting people and, you know, the usual off-four walk, and then um, 2nd of December, he just disappeared. Not a sign of him anywhere from our home here um, in Cordangan. So I searched everywhere, put it up on social media, um, searched everywhere, no sign of him. I got back onto my lovely rescue, first rescue in Kildare, because they were the people I actually adopted him from. And they put up posters and, you know, kept searching for him. We went to all the horses, balance low, everywhere. Mm. And lo and behold, last 
Tuesday, I got a call from Jenny from my lovely office to say that Oscar had been found. Where, where where had he been found, Catherine? Um, South Circular Road above in Dublin. In Dublin? Yes, wandering the streets. Um, a lovely couple chased him down on, a, I think it was a Monday night. It was still in rain and took him home and went through the animal welfare vet in Dublin and they scanned him. His microchip turned up to my lovely horse rescue and his microchip to them, but I'm just the adopter. And when he rang me to say that miracles happened, she said, and I said to her, I said, what do you mean? And she said, you know, after me happened. Oh, God. I'm just, so I'm you were just, so delighted to, to get the news, weren't oh, you, my, Catherine? A friend, I'm, like, I'm just a dog lover. Yeah. Like, my family say that. And, you know, it's just, it's just heartbreaking. Um, when he was missing for those three months, just not knowing, you know, if he's not going through the the hardship that he was through before, and yes, you know, just the not knowing, and it's just that um, he's found in Dublin three months later. It's just, it's What's just your, it, it is a Christmas miracle, isn't it? What condition was he in when you got him back, Jenny or Catherine? Um, he's very thin, Brian. Back, yes. to, back to the state I got him um, when I took him from the pound back in December. So um, there's a lot of work to be done. He's he's quite um, like he's a bit withdrawn, as in he, he just doesn't know what's going on. Right. right. He gets plenty of you know tender love and care here and at home, and he just loves the couch. You know, uh. he's just a couch dog. It's it's, it's just terrible that people are snapping dogs up there and they just don't care what they're doing for families that are left behind wondering like it's just gone you see, the they, they're, they're just they're not they're obviously not animal lovers they don't understand yeah. the bond we have with, with our dogs it's interesting that Oscar is a lurcher because a lot of people don't want to adopt lurchers for some reason or other but they're beautiful dogs oh I, I yeah because they're lurchers they're actually um they're just left behind, really. Yeah. And it's just because they're, yeah, I don't know, dogs or hunting rabbits and yeah. people think, but they're, they're he, well, my officer, anyway, is, I'm in a house today, so like, he's, at the moment, like, since he came home, he's sleeping at the end of the bed, you know, I won't leave him out of my sight, anyway. Uh. But he's just, he's just, um, he's just a gentle dog, and it's just people, they don't, they don't have any regard for him because they're lustful, and they're, and even with the greyhounds, no one has, no one will adopt them, and they're actually couch potato, really. Yes, yeah. just one run in the day down the field up, up towards that'll do them, and they'll sleep forever. Like. And then they'll they'll chill out, and and they're very loving as well. And, you know, like Oscar is no good to nobody because I got neutered when I fought him that time, and like he was no good to nobody. You know, he couldn't breathe or anything, but yeah. you just wonder what goes on in people's heads and they just go and take wouldn't, people's dogs. Wouldn't you just, and, and to bring such sadness on you as well, Catherine, exactly. and such anxiety um, over him. It's not known, yeah, it's not known time. Yeah. Um, you don't know, like, is he going back to being dog-based or is he going back to being cruelly, you know, I know. treated yeah. again? And, like, well, he, he's him, but he, he's come around, but he, you know, it just goes there. I went up collecting in 
brother went two stairs from my lovely house rescue, met me halfway, and uh, he wouldn't even get out to use their car. You know, he just terrified like that. Oh, but the poor creature. Well, I know you will lavish love upon him, and he'll be he'll be fine in the weeks to come. Catherine, yeah. we wish you and Oscar a happy Christmas and your family yeah, as well. Thank you. Thank- yes. Just to say that anyone that has those, make sure that they, they do microchip them, because if Oscar wasn't microchipped, you wouldn't you get know, him back. We wouldn't have got him back. Just, and if anyone's out there, like um, try to adapt and not stop. You know, if you can. Yes, because they're they're loving, beautiful dogs. Yeah, like all the rescues are just they're busting at the seams with dogs being left off and that so you right. can hold. Particularly with with lurchers and greyhounds. Yeah. Catherine, thank you. A happy Christmas and good thank morning you. to you. Thank you. Bye bye Dosh. Bye bye. And uh, there's a good news story for you from uh, Catherine. We'll take a break back in a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie December is Constipation Awareness Month. About one in three children suffer from constipation. There are several factors that can trigger uh, this condition. To find out more, I'm delighted to be joined by Anne Costigan, who is a paediatric nurse, a constipation and toilet training expert. And uh, Anne is with me. Good morning, Anne. Good morning, Fran. Thanks for having me. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well indeed. And great to talk to you today. What does trigger constipation in children? Because I remember, well, it can be very distressing for them, can't it? Absolutely, yeah. It's really a hard one because a lot of kids will suffer from it and can be quite a mild um, condition that they they are suffering with. But a lot of kids will go on then to have chronic constipation. So there's a few different things that will trigger it off with children. Um, so number one would be their diet. So you know yourself, toddlers, when mm. they're that age, can be quite picky what they want to eat. And if they're not getting enough to drink, this can then also make the poo drier and harder. And what happens then is if they pass a hard poo, they get that pain sensation. And what they start doing then is actually hold it onto their poo. Uh, they don't want to let it out. Yes. So that gets in then to a vicious cycle of holding onto their poo. That poo then is staying there longer in the bowel and it's getting drier and harder. And again, they're feeling that pain. They don't want to pass it. So they hold on to them for a good few days. And then eventually they'll pass this big, hard poo, which again causes the pain. So it can be quite a vicious cycle. And then kids getting sick with viral illnesses, getting mm. dehydrated mm. at high temperatures. Again, that can make them a little bit dehydrated. And then and that's a knock-on effect in, in the bowel. So there's a few different things. And it's just sometimes it's just mm. part and parcel of childhood. But what, again, And what can be done? I mean, what should parents be looking out for? And what, what can they do, um? Yeah, so they can just observe their poos is the, is the main thing mm. and look for a change. So if they notice that their little one hasn't pooed in a few days and next thing they notice the poos are actually getting quite big because that means that poo is accumulating um, and if it's dry. So there's a scale of different types of poos called the Bristol stool chart and it's seven different types of poos. So type four is the poo that everybody should be passing. So mm. it's a nice sausage-shaped, smooth poo. Uh, it's not dry-looking. So mm. if they notice the difference, it's to act on it early. So the very early things they can start doing is making sure they're looking at their drinking. Are they drinking enough fluids? Are they eating a good, well-balanced diet? Are they getting enough exercise? If it continues on, then they need to get to their GP just to make sure there's nothing underlying causing the constipation and to start a laxative if that's what's needed. So the NICE guidelines are a set of guidelines set up in the UK and they basically um, would stipulate that the first-line treatment for constipation in children is the use of a laxative. So that's really, really important that parents aren't afraid to use a laxative because a lot of people have a misconception that laxatives make the bowel lazy when in actual fact it's really important that the poo 
is kept moving out of the bowel. Right, but I presume the laxative used under instruction from from yes. a doctor or somebody like yourself, Anne. Absolutely. So yeah. it has to be prescribed for children. A lot of medications are unlicensed for use in children or they're not recommended for certain age groups. But once they're prescribed by your GP, uh, perfectly safe to be used. That's really important. So, oh, the first stop is to go to the GP and get your little one checked out. Right. Now, you have, is it an Instagram page uh, yes. you have about this? I do. I set this up in April of this year. I was on maternity leave. Um, we had our third child this year and I just felt that there's a lot of misinformation out there for parents and not enough information for parents about constipation and toilet training. So I find there's a big link between toilet training and constipation too because again, when kids start toilet training, if they're not toilet trained at the right time, if they're not ready, the first thing they start doing is holding on to their poo. They don't like the sensation of not having a nappy on and having to poo into a potty. Mm. So they start holding on to their poo so constipation can... And trigger be triggered then as well. So I set up the page just to get that information out there for parents, and I was doing group Zoom sessions, Zoom sessions for parents about constipation and toilet training. And I also offer one-to-one consultations for parents if they're struggling with managing their constipation in their child. But again, I don't prescribe. I basically just give education and of advice. Course. And, and, and I, I was looking at uh, what you have there on Instagram. You got a great reaction to this, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, it's very popular. I think, again, Parents become a little bit obsessed with their kids' poos. They don't realise yeah. it until you start having children. Yeah, How important it is, you know, for kids. And as you said at the start, it can be so distressing for kids. And it can actually take over the whole family life, you know, because you're constantly thinking, when did it poo last? Um, how are they feeling? And kids can get quite lethargic. Behaviour can change. Their sleeping pattern can change if they're constipated. So it really has a huge impact. So just to get that information of course, out of the, the poor pets. And I yeah. suppose, particularly at this time of the year then, when the diet might change rather mm. drastically, and yeah. is that something we need to keep in mind? Absolutely, yeah. So that's why December is a Constipation Awareness Month. So it's really important when there's a routine change. Again, as I said, lots of different foods now over Christmas. Routine goes out the window up at different times. They're not doing the same thing every day. And then it's really important then that parents keep a good eye on their poos over the Christmas period and act on it. If they find that, look, if their diet isn't great, let's up the fluids, make sure they're getting enough fruit and fibre and veg in their diet well during the day. Mm. And just to, you know, be mindful and keep it all, everything in moderation as much as you can. You know, Christmas course, time is great, yes. but it's to keep it in moderation. Absolutely. I remember one of the big challenges for, for it's a long time ago where I'm concerned, Anne, but where, where kids are concerned is the whole toilet training experience and yeah. and is that still a big deal is that still a challenge for parents and it can be and i think the one of the main problems is that parents have been put under pressure to get them toilet trained before they start um their preschool um mm. two years in preschool so they're you know a lot so of very early isn't it very early now normally it's over the age of two and a half you kind of say yeah they should be well able they should be emotionally and physically ready. But some kids, it just takes that bit longer. They mm. might not be ready for their three and a half up to four, and that's mm. okay. But if you try and do it too soon on a little one, they're just going to push back, and it ends up in tears and fear. And then that's where that holding on comes on to, comes into play, that they realise that they can hold on to their poo. They're not going to do it. They're going to hold on to their wee. And it just goes into a vicious cycle then of trauma, really, for everybody. All right. So, so what what is your advice on that? I mean, I presume get some... Get some expertise on it, I suppose, Anne. Yeah, so the big thing is to look out for the cues that your child has shown you that they're ready for toilet training. So are they 
wanting to take off an appy? Are they saying I've done a wee or a poo? Are they following you into the bathroom? Are they interested in it? Are they able to pull up and down their clothes? And are they dry during the day for a couple of hours? That's really important that they have the bladder capacity to hold on to wee and then that will give them the recognition that they need to wee then later on. So all those little things really come into right. play. I presume and that our attitude to the toilet yeah. as well uh, plays a part in this. I mean, we have to be very open about it, have we not, with kids? Absolutely, and, yeah. yeah. And, you know, instantly, whenever we talk about poo, a lot of people wrinkling up their nose about poo, that's disgusting, yeah. you know? And yes. it's a very natural reaction. You know, it doesn't smell nice, that's, that's for sure. But you know what? Everybody has to poo. Mm. And I think if parents have that attitude when they're changing their nappy of saying, oh, great, you've done a poo, rather than, oh, that's disgusting, let's yes. clean that away, you know? just It's just very simple little terms that we use. If we change those, it can make a big impact on the child. Very good advice. Can I get you to put on your paediatric nurse hat on you just before I let sure. you go? And I'm just wondering about this strep um, that we're hearing about at the moment. A lot of parents out there concerned about that. Absolutely. Should they be very concerned? You know, it's the same advice we always give to parents. If you're concerned about your child, always get them checked out by a doctor. You know, your parental instincts are really strong. And if you know there's something different about your child, go with that. But obviously, be sensible about your child too. If they've got a cough or a cold, they're unwell, keep them at home. Um, make sure you're regularly checking their temperature, getting plenty of fluids. And if condition worsens, go and seek medical advice. Kids get sick every winter. These bugs are always around. But again, we're hearing a very yes. higher number this winter and kids getting a lot sicker, you know. So it's just be, be sensible. Um, absolutely. Um, uh, just finally, a very interesting question from a listener, um, if you would, Anne. Uh, can a child have diarrhoea and be constipated? That's a really good point. Isn't because it? a lot yeah. of people get confused with that. They feel that, uh, sure, look, they're pooing, all this watery poo is coming out, but sometimes that could actually be overflow diarrhoea. That basically means the rectum is really full of hard poo, and this is poo that's leaking down around it. So kids have no control over this. They're soiling themselves, and they're passing hard stool too. So it's a real um, one that you definitely need to go to the doctor. They probably need high dose of laxatives to clear that backlog of poo and then reduce down over time um, and keep them on a good dose to keep their poos nice and soft. All right, very good. Yeah, they can have both, yeah. A lot of people looking for that Instagram page. Is it poo and loo? Who and the loo. <laughs> okay. And the loo, is it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And if people want to have a look at, at that, all the info is there. And a real pleasure. And thank you for your, your time today. Thank you so much. Happy Christmas to you. Uh, many happy returns to you, Anne. Bye-bye. Thanks. That's Anne Costigan there, pediatric nurse, constipation and toilet training expert as well. Listen around to say, hey, Fran, I'm having my breakfast. I get over yourself. News. <laughs> News. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to the second hour of uh, Tip Today. Now, just to uh, remind you again that uh, Bella Voce choir concert that was supposed to happen tonight at Ferry House Church outside of Clanmel at half past seven. That is cancelled. That is not happening tonight. It's postponed to December the 16th and it will happen once again in uh, Ferry House uh, Church at half past seven on the, sixth, uh, on the 16th. But we will remind you about that uh, next week. 
1850-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0008-0
it's trying to identify problems with. So therefore, the evidence is clear that they're showing the, in imaging that uh, brains are showing that problems are there long before they materialize. And, you know, we see the, we see high-impact sports, for example, rugby, mm-hmm. you know, gelly mm-hmm. football, hurling. Yeah. We see guys are much stronger. We're seeing impacts on the field. Is this going to have huge problems? Absolutely it is because I'm seeing young guys coming into the clinic who are suffering from different types of concussion and concussion-type trauma, and we think that in time that will go. That could lay the foundation for something. So you have to be very mindful. We look at the amount of children who are diagnosed with autism or within the autistic spectrum. We're seeing it. We're just making a diagnosis based on a cluster of symptoms, but nobody is scanning the brain and looking at the different areas of the brain, the executive functioning, the amygdala, the different quadrants of the brain and saying, yes, there is certainly an over-function of one part, there's lack of function in another, and what is the real reason? And it, it's, it's, it's a matter of looking now, I think, at the huge implications of modern-day living uh, and, and how it is impacting not just on our lungs and our heart and our kidneys and our bladder and our bowel, but it's also having mm. a huge impact. And when you say brain. modern day living, are you talking about diet? Large? Diet is one aspect of it. Diet is for sure one aspect. There, I mean, there's a reality now that the bigger your body gets, the smaller your brain gets. Uh-huh. Okay, and the reason for being is because metabolism. We have 60,000 miles of vessels in our body. So when our microcirculatory system and our metabolism becomes affected, then this has a huge impact in blood flow to the brain. Lack of blood flow and oxygen to the brain using uh, the model of living in the stress and the poor diet, the sedentary lifestyle, the overuse of IT uh, stuff, all of this is playing into an environment that is influencing every organ of the body but not just our organs, our brain is also being influenced and when we see the huge increases in the anxiety in our society you know, people seem to be lost uh, we see a huge increase in depression and people are struggling out there and we're going down the road trying to Xanax our way out of this we're not, it's not going to happen, we need to make serious changes in the education of our people to get them to change their lives, otherwise we are heading in for massive health issues. If we discover that somebody is predisposed or we get somebody in the very early stages mm-hmm. of these de- degenerative uh, diseases, yes. can can it be rolled back? Absolutely. The evidence is there to show that you can prevent that. And the evidence is there to show that these types of conditions can be reversed. So if people are building up various types of plaque in the brain, for example, to, you know, so, so so what type of scan? So if the spec scan, so what you, could you look for? You could look for blood flow, MRA, magnetic resonance angiogram. I often send people to Professor Sultan in the Galway Clinic who might present with some symptoms just to look at blood flow, for example. And when you look at that's the one of the big things. Blood flow, because blood carries oxygen and nutrients to the brain. But what about blood flow? How, you know, we lack exercise. We're, you know, our food, we're, we're overweight. We're, you know, for the first time, um, Fran, for the first time in, in history of the human existence, people are dying from overeating rather than hunger. So now we've got to look at blood flow. As, 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 a, as a contributor to the problem arising from that. And, of course, we have the people who retire stop learning 
you know. So we can look at how it is that we can identify the problem, then engage in a rehab program that looks at lifestyle, looks at continuous learning, looks at brain rehab programming, uh, looks at getting out in nature, you know, and reconnecting again back to life. And suddenly the body starts to rehab from there. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that, you know, in, 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 in people coming into our clinics uh, who have various types of neurological-based disorders, mm. whether it be Parkinson's, MS, uh, whether it be something like vascular dementia or whatever the case may be. Or we're seeing that when people are making these lifestyle changes, the not just we're seeing it, but the science shows it. And the regressible thing of all of this is that even though the science is there, regrettably, you know, the powers that be as the healthcare service, the neurologists, you you know, the various consultants, they're not bringing this new awareness into their clinical practice and educating people about this. It's very interesting. Correct diagnosis, I would imagine, is, is vital, is it? Well, that's a f- powerful question, you know, because they are the three key things we have to ask when people come to our clinics. Where is your problem coming from? Yes. We know how it's affecting you, but how you're dealing with it. So the key here is diagnosis. And we see clusters of symptoms. So when you look at diabetes, for example you know diabetes there should be no disease called diabetes okay what people have out there is very simple it is called processed food disease that's what it is that's what it is processed food disease when we look at the food that we're putting into our body and there are some people I get it out there who can't afford to go down the organic route and you know have to buy certain foods and I get that but you know we have got to try and find a way to look at how the food industry has has hacked the human brain and using certain methods of advertising is able to influence the the, 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 the person at the other side of the screen to say well if you eat this you look like this or whatever the case may be and of course it's all advertising so we have this kind of they've, they've hijacked and controlled the brain as the, and diverted us down the road into a, a model of living of processed food lack of exercise resulting in what we call processed food diseases looking at conditions like diabetes cancers neurodegenerative disorders anxiety depression all of these things it is the same system that is contributing to all of the different conditions that are pre- presenting in doctor surgeries and that are presenting in hospital A&Es and in various consultants' rooms today. It's very interesting. I was reading a piece on, I forget which platform it was the other night, but it said that the biggest poison um, that's affecting us has to be sugar, that it's worse than drugs, it's worse than anything else, that sugar is the big one. Would you go along with Well, that? look, there's no doubt about it, sugar, because one of the key things... Uh, uh, that we have to think about is that and again going back to Daniel Amens and, and, and all that type of research that has been done looking at spec scans the scans show areas of the brain so if, if people who overuse alcohol, people who take uh, use drugs, cocaine, weed whatever the case may be, even medically prescribed drugs, uh, also food, of course sugar because sugar is full of, it's going to create inflammation so one of the key things when we look at blood flow 
lack of blood flow, oxygen, nutrients. So we can look at that now by looking at food and looking at exercise. But the critical thing about the food is you bring down the inflammation. The idea that we can class a lot of these types of conditions as autoimmune diseases is not really accurate. We have the immune system is responding to problems. So we can target the immune system with immunosuppressants and steroids and all of that kind of thing. Short term, people may need it. But we need to go back and look at why the immune system is overactive. And it's overactive because it's trying to deal with problems within the body. And you're right. You know, sugar is one of the biggest things, but it's in everything. Mm. And this is Mm. the problem with life today. But at least if we can cut out the processed stuff, that's the big thing. You know, when we, you know, and I'm sure people see this in their own families that we, we unfortunately, we are not sitting around the table anymore eating. You know, we're taking fast food. It's mm. easy to, and I'm not saying that you can't have a takeaway or go to Chinese or go to some. Absolutely. But it's all about balance. Mm. But when we look, so what I'm saying to people is this if just have a look in the mirror. Let your body tell you the true story. Are you tired today? Do you feel that you have no energy? Do you lack concentration, focus? Do you feel you lack motivation in life? You know, do you feel that you're a little bit overweight? All of these things. You know, the thing about it is that when people make simple changes in their lives, and of course the food is a big challenge Mm. because it is addictive. Like you said, sugar is Mm. addictive. Mm. And if you were to say to everybody today, give up your sugar, wouldn't happen. I mean, I talk to people every day in my clinics. I say, no, you cannot give up sugar. What you have to do is you have to replace it Mm. and you start to reprogram the brain. So when we look at rehabbing the body, we rehab a muscle if we tear it, you know, if we damage and cruciate ligament, we rehab it and whatever. So the whole idea is that we have to learn to rehab our body. We call it healing, but we have to rehab it. We have to rehab it with the proper rest, the proper food, the proper therapies, the proper support systems but the ultimate focus has to be the patient themselves they must be center of focus they must want to get better and they must be willing to put in the time and the effort to do that you mentioned um, depression there in in the course of you chatting to me and I'm just thinking about emotional trauma as well and the part that plays in brain health absolutely it does and we see this primarily in children and we talked about it just briefly about autism and autistic spectrum yeah. is trauma at birth I mean is the use of forceps and vacuum uh, deliver I'm seeing it in my clinic I can produce patients whose children uh, who were born through vacuum forceps type deliveries that it in some way impacted upon the the nervous system of the child. We're seeing an autonomic nervous system overload. That's what I see in my clinic. So that if, because for whatever reason, the the, the, the vacuum and and, and the suction and all of that, it's impacting the brain, you know, because it's stuck in that birth canal. The mother is under stress. There's stress hormones being fired out by the mother. The child is reacting. Placenta is going into stress. Oxygen delay is getting to the brain. And this is trauma whether we like it or not. And trauma to the brain, irrespective of how it's caused or created, whether it's through emotional stress or whether it's through some impact, whatever the impact is, emotional, physical, environmental, whatever type of impact is, if there is trauma to the body, it affects the brain. If there is direct trauma to the brain, then it may manifest in addictive personalities or certain types of personalities as we get older. We're seeing that if we can work at an early stage to release that stress 
stress, the brain can begin to rehab itself and recover. And again, that is what science is showing us. Rather than just the idea that, well, we need to medicate, we need to medicate. We can't medicate our way out of problems. For sure, medicine has a role to Mm. play, but we can't medicate our way out of problems. We've got to go back and look, as you said earlier, what is the correct diagnosis, meaning what is the cause of your problem? How do you approach it when somebody comes in to you, whether it's emotional trauma or it's trauma brought on by by something else, overeating or whatever? How do you approach that? The first thing, obviously, we have to make patients aware of they're coming in from a clinical environment, they have had their medical test, they've all this kind of stuff done. The other, so we have to first of all then talk with them about, just like what I'm saying, what is the cause of your problem? Where is it coming from? So we get into this dialogue. The first day now is nearly part of just sitting down. Then we proceed to work with the energy system of the body. This is critical. Once we start to work with the energy system of the body, we start to release that stress and trauma from that impact emotionally or physically. Once Once we start to do that, then we engage them in in mind skills to get them to look at their future, how it is they're going to emerge, the attitude they need to have, then supporting that with the right diet, then supporting that with the proper physical exercises. Then if medicine has a role to play, so be it. Whatever it takes, that's the road. People need to be patient. That's the biggest message we give our clients. You have to be patient. Patience doesn't mean nothing is happening. Patience means that you're working slowly towards an end game. You're working slowly towards your goal of three, six, nine months where you're back to health. I had a gentleman in my clinic about three months ago who presented with Parkinson's symptoms. And um, I said to him, if you want to try to deal with this, this is what you have to do. And he did it. He has lost over 35 pounds. He is now presenting with no symptoms of Parkinson's hardly. Even his neurologist said this to him. And this is just in three months that he decided to, to take it on board himself to make the changes with his nutrition. So we're seeing that mm. when people do engage, that they can so change. So are you saying to me, Michael, that just because you get a diagnosis, it isn't the you You can approach this yourself. You, Absolutely. You can. And even with cancers and so on. And and the point I'm making is that you take the amount of stress associated with different types of cancers and, you know, uh, and different types of conditions and so on. Like the stress alone, working with the model we're talking about can have huge impacts in dealing with stress. And at least just by working with the stress, it can help the body to react better to the treatments of its chemotherapy or radiotherapy or surgery, whatever the case may be. So it's all about Mm. presenting to people the best opportunity and the best outcome and to do that you need a multidisciplined approach that is the only way about it there is no other way so the right. idea but that there's only one you've way you've seen people reverse absolutely. a situation yeah. uh, absolutely well absolutely i mean yeah. we're seeing it all the time children you know with different types of conditions patient uh, parents with and it's on my youtube channel and you'll see people there who've recovered from depression from people who've recovered from gastro gastric issues from uh, all sorts of colitis where you know where were supposed to be removed and they were able to reverse that. We're seeing people who are chronically fatigued, who are burnt out, who are on huge amounts of medication, who've recovered. Well, I'm not saying this is the panacea and the be-all. What I'm saying is this, that if we really want to confront the modern-day health issues, the processed food diseases, the obesity, all of these types of problems, where the, 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 to prevent conditions like what we're told now that, val- that vascular dementia or Alzheimer's 
promise mm. could quadruple in the next 25 years. If that's the case, we need to bring a different sort of uh, approach uh, to people and get them to begin to take care of themselves, uh, Fran. That's the only way forward. Well, listen, with a very good question, uh, they're wondering, do you have an opinion about the condition and the state of our water, for example? Do you, do you have issues with that? Abs- the, the three things I believe is poisoning us, air, water and food. The water? Well, the water is poison. We under no illusion about it. You know, I mean, what is going into that water, uh, what has been cleaning it? I spoke with a guy many years ago and he said, Michael, I go to reservoirs and when I go to the reservoirs and I look into those reservoirs, I often see dead sheep inside them. You know, he says they're black. By the time it comes out of the other end of the, uh, of, of the pipe in your tap, he says, it's, clean, it's white. But what's making it that way? Mm. You know, uh, the fluoride, I suppose. Uh, this, is the, this is the thing about it. When, when we look at nature, we have disrupted nature. We have affected how the natural process. And whether we like it or not, either we're going to, when we're talking about global warming and we're talking about the climate, we won't be around to experience the worst of this climate if we keep going. We are fast. You know, we have 8 billion people in the world at the moment. We're we, destroying ourselves. We are destroying ourselves. We're fast destroying ourselves. It's up to each individual. It has to be an individual thing. Fran, if you, you know, if you look uh, at, at people and, and, and if people individually decide, you know what? I'm going to take responsibility of my, of my life here. I'm going to sit down. If I have to filter my water, I'm going to filter my water. If I have to, how I'm going to get, I'm going to get the best food I can possibly get in. I'm going to disconnect from a lot of the negativity that's going on in social media and media at the moment. I'm going to find time for myself to get out into nature. And I'm going to start learning to relax and to meditate. Mm. Keep learning something. Pick up an, you know, an instrument and learn to play music, no matter how bad you are. But the key is keep stimulating growth in your body. We have seen, science has shown, if we go down that road we can change our lives and that's not just a fanciful idea, that's not just some here, hear me giving some motivational speech this is what science is saying and this is how we can really deal with it. So yeah unfortunately, but you know when we talk about air, water and food being toxic it's our thoughts are more toxic than them all. Yeah I go along with that. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean, people are out we there. We can destroy ourselves. We are with, destroying with ourselves. Our thoughts too. We yeah. are yeah. destroying ourselves because yeah. when you look at that, though, when you have, you know, the economic and political institutions projecting negativity yeah. for people all the time, yes. all the time. So what is that? It's a subliminal information going into our subconscious mind, and people are living in fear. You know, people were preparing for the beast in the east, and now we have mm. Fratkar coming mm. on saying, "Oh well, you know, well we might have to turn off the the light." Yes. And I mean, there are people who are continuously being bombarded with a projection of negativity. Christ, I mean, they call, these guys call themselves leaders and motivators and, 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 and so on, and, uh, you know, visionaries. I mean, we are driving ourselves into the deepest hole continuously. You know, someone's going to have to take the bull by the horns and start directing people down a different direction, Fran. If people want to talk to you, Michael, if they want to link up with you, how can they do that? Yeah, michaelodarty.com, obviously, are my office uh, 08... Seven six seven two one eight eight eight, and in the new year, friend, just briefly, I'm planning on getting people out into what I call green zone therapy. Okay. And the whole idea is what I want to do is get people out into nature, and just talk with them, 
teach them how to breathe, do a little uh, qigong, meditation, get them to understand food, and if they have issues, begin a process of helping them to recover. So I'll be starting this uh, next year, certainly starting in January, I'm looking to start around the 7th, 7th of January. Well, we look look forward to that indeed, and you have your YouTube uh, channel up Yeah, and if people well. want to look at it, and, and, and I, just, I, I want to wish everybody in Tipperary and Little Sling area a happy Christmas and, and so on, and their motto for 2023, 2023 is for me. All right. Well, very great, simple. Great to see you. Happy Christmas to you and your family. You too, thanks, thanks very much indeed. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie. And uh, you're very welcome back. And as usual on a Friday, Andrew is with me. And uh, Andrew, I suppose what prompted today's uh, conversation has to be the death of uh, Christy Alley uh, on Monday. Wasn't yeah. It? Christy Alley. Yeah, yeah Christy Alley. Uh, it'll make you feel old when I tell you this because uh, just downstairs uh, I met Owen. Uh, <laughs> he said to me, What are you chatting about today? I said, Christy Alley. He said, Who? Who? <laughs> and I said, Christy Alley from Cheers. He said, What? I said, Stop. You are don't. You yeah. So, man, does that make you feel oh, old? Oh, God, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, she sadly passed away on Monday, as most people know, uh, through the 80s and the 90s. She appeared in various films, including mm. Summer School, Shoot to Kill, Madhouse, Sibling Rivalry, loads more. Uh, if you haven't heard of those movies, uh, I'm not surprised because they didn't do a whole mm. lot. Mm. Deconstructing Harry, I think I remember that one all right, but she, she wasn't doing a whole lot no. of well-known stuff. Um, at that stage so that's what they have in common that they're probably not very well known very good actress very very good looking woman mm, very attractive beautiful woman, uh, beautiful, yeah, beautiful looking yeah. woman um, very young of course when she passed away just the other day was she 71, 71 I think 71, she was yeah. mm. uh, anyway got a bit better for her friend on the big screen of course she landed a role on Look Who's Talking in 1989, mm. and there was two sequels as well. Do you remember they were kind of harmless, uh, funny kind of movies? I think yeah. Ted Danson was in it. Yeah, rom coms. Yeah, yeah, kind of that yeah. kind of thing. Look who's talking two, and look who's talking now. And then they ran out of names, so they couldn't do a fourth one, I suppose. But uh, yeah, she she look she got better known uh, for um, for starring in, in those movies. But look, the real breakout role was uh, her playing the uh, part of Rebecca Howe in Cheers between 1987 and 1993 for which she received a Golden Globe Emmy. Uh, I don't have anything clever to say because for so many years I've sat there having clever things to say and then they come back from the dry cleaners and they're wrinkled and I'm embarrassed because they read my speech at the dry cleaners to everybody and, <laughs> and I wanted to thank my husband and I didn't want to thank him like you know I really love him and everything so I'd like to thank my husband Parker the man who has given me the big one for the last eight years. <laughs> uh, Camille, you're, you're right to correct me there. I, I would have thought it was Christy no, Alley. It's Kirsty. It's yeah, Kirsty. Kirsty. Yeah. Okay, yeah. God knows I'll get that wrong for the next 10 minutes, uh, probably. <laughs> uh, so, cheers. Look, the American sitcom, everybody, well, not everybody owned, does it? No, no, so it most but he's horribly young, you see. Well, this is the problem. Is, yeah. uh, the American sitcom television show ran from 1982 to 1993. Total of 275 half hour episodes it was across amazing. 11 seasons. It was amazing. It, it, I loved it. Yeah. I I, absolutely, I grew up with uh, Cheers. Um, I, a friend of mine uh, was was there at the actual bar. We'll get to that in a second. Go on, are you serious? Yeah, many years ago. And I think when, when I started looking this up uh, yesterday and this morning, um, my memory for some reason is that the bar was actually called the Bullfinch. Was the it? Bullfinch. And now I think they've changed it to, to Cheers. Cheers. So right. I think now, because somebody texts and corrects me and said, oh no, I was there, it's called Cheers. I think for years... 
um, before they took it on for the show. I think it was called the Bullfinch, but it's it's still there, and of course people yeah. are, are you know uh, still going and have a drink there and all that kind of thing, and they got all the memorabilia and, and all that. So, uh, and is it set out like you know? I think it so, is. Sometimes you have an outside facade thing on a TV show, but but it's a studio that. No, I think the, I think it is as 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 we saw it. Yes. It's a bar, and um, I think you go down the steps. The, the basement, and yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I I think it is yeah. uh, unless Very again, so, unless somebody has been there. Look at the centre of the show. Uh, everybody will know it was the it was Sam Malone, mm. of course, uh, Ted Danson, mm. who was amazing it to the womanising former r- relief pitcher. Now, not pitcher, relief pitcher for the Boston Red Sox. So uh, it was all kind of around him, and I, I just loved it. Did you love it? Did you? I, yeah, yeah. I absolutely loved it, and I thought, and I know you'll get to yeah. this, but everybody in it was a star as far as I Oh, I'll get to know, that, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned how successful it was. Mm. Uh, you may not know it was nearly cancelled uh, during its first season. Are you serious? Yeah, it ranked uh, almost last in the ratings um, after its premiere. So there was, out of 77 shows that were on at the time, it came 74th. And they just thought it wasn't going to do anything. Wow. So, uh, and yeah. was it too clever or something or too... I don't know. Yeah. I, it obviously just grew on people. Now, I'd love to see the, the, the premiere, the premiere uh, mm. of it and just, just wonder, you know, was it as good at the start or did they kind of... Um, did it get better as it became, going on? Yeah. Eventually became a huge uh, success in the States and here as well, earning a top 10 rating during eight of its 11 seasons, including uh, one season at number one. So, like, they went from, from zero to hero, uh, basically, with it anyway. Mm. So, uh, yeah, it did very well, obviously. Boston TV station CBS called around to the real Cheers bar uh, to chat with some people this week after her passing. Remembering Christy Alley at Cheers, the landmark bar behind the legendary sitcom. WBZ's Mike Sullivan shows us how they're raising a glass to Alley at the bar where everybody knew her name. The iconic jingle, the iconic faces. It was a, a slice of America. Cheers was where everybody knew your name. People could identify with individuals. Especially actress Kirstie Alley. We just loved her. We just thought she was funny. Last night, Donna Niederberger was at the Bruins game. We had a power play, five on three, and I got a text that Kirstie Alley had died. Her heart sank, then her Tuesday plans changed. We wanted to come here where it felt like it was her home. She's talking about the real Cheers. The Bacon Street bar that inspired the hit show. He was a naturally funny person. Tom Kershaw created the bar in 1969. I've met them all uh, over the years. Including after Allie took over the lead female role from Shelley Long. Hello, everyone. The writers are very smart. They put her in a different role. They put her as basically Sam's boss. She fit right in. When they were off camera, she was always playing around. Always impacting her co-stars. In a statement, Ted Danson says that he was on a plane flight watching one of his favorite episodes of Kirstie Alley. When he landed, that's when he found out she passed away. He says 30 years ago she made him laugh then. She still does now. Saw her downstairs. I took a picture there. Jimmy Martin began watching the show with his father. His family is visiting from Louisiana. To me, she was a good actress. And she had good uh, community uh, time. It made him feel like he was part of the game. Well, now everyone knows your name. Yes, they do. <laughs> Kirstie Alley is no different. So let's raise a glass to her. Beer, Norm. In Boston, I'm Mike Sullivan, WBZ News. <laughs> 
great memories there altogether. Mm. Now we mentioned some of the rest of the cast. I mean, it was a real star cast. Wasn't yeah, just it? before just before you get to that, yeah. actually, uh, she died so this week with a brief battle with uh, colon cancer. Uh, and uh, one of the uh, TV, well, many of the TV channels were obviously speaking about it during the week. And I just thought it, it was important to play this little uh, piece, okay. edited piece, where they chatted with a doctor about colon cancer after her passing. What are the risk factors? So for the average risk person, again, this is something that can go up with age, but there's a long list of risk factors. Uh, family history, like with any cancer, is, is top of the list. Certain genetic mutations, something called Lynch syndrome is a big one. Uh, obesity, people who are inactive or don't get a lot of exercise, or behavioral things like diet that's low in fiber, fruit and vegetables, um, smoking and alcohol to excess, all of those things um, are on the list of risk factors, but it's generally not one. Thing, George. Screenings do make a difference. What are the guidelines? So for the average risk person uh, to start at 45, and that's a number that's gone mm. down recently. It used to be uh, 50. Um, but anyone who has family history or a genetic um, mutation should obviously get screened or anyone with any of those signs or symptoms. Yeah, I didn't realise it was colon cancer. Yeah, and, and yeah. I, I wanted to play that piece yeah. because uh, very often, like if, you know, uh, any good comes out of this, it's that people People will kind of recognise signs, awareness and, it, and stuff, just yeah. just the awareness. It was a short illness, though, I believe. Very it? short yeah. illness. They're not saying how long she'd been battling it, but yeah. but certainly they're saying a short illness. Um, we'll chat about. You've got a break to take. We'll take the break and we'll chat about some of the All people right, in Cheers after let's this. Do that. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip today on one eight hundred nine three eight double o seven. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Andrew is with me. We're talking about cheers following the death of one of the stars, Kirsty Alley, but you were saying about the others and there were so many, weren't there? Yeah, look, I mean, you know, um, there were so many. And I, I think, I, I mean, I... I have to presume that it started off that these guys were going to be in the background, mm, mm. but they but they all became household names. Yeah. Uh, funnily enough, didn't they? Um, Ted Danson was the star, played Sam, of course. But then you had Shelley Long. Mm. Uh, now she took over Kirsty, Kirsty uh, took over from uh, Diane Chambers as a kind of a love interest yes. of, of Sam's, yeah. which was an ongoing thing. Shelley Long played a played that part for for many yeah, years. She was the blonde lady. <clears throat> blonde, yeah, yeah, beautiful, beautiful yeah, looking woman yeah. too. Uh, Rhea Perlman. Brilliant. Oh, played Carla. Like, oh, I mean, there you a, go. What a part, yeah. I mean, if anybody forgot about that, like, that'll bring back memories to you. Like, yeah. she was... Uh, the very small Italian-American yeah. sort yeah, of Yeah, and, yeah, and always given out and always upset and always kind of, you know, um, yeah. she was. She had a great um, She had a great partner, too. Uh, George went as Norm. Afternoon, everybody. Norm! <laughs> How you doing, Norm? What do you know? Not enough. <laughs> Afternoon, everybody. Norm! Better give me a tall one in case I like it. <laughs> Good afternoon, everybody. Hey, Norm! Hey, How you doing, Norm? Cut the small talk and give me a beer. <laughs> afternoon, everybody. Hey, Norm! Give me a beer with it. Afternoon, everybody. Oh, Norm! Norman? Gentlemen, start your taps. <laughs> afternoon, everybody. Oh, Norm! I was like treating you, Norm. He caught me in bed with his wife.
<laughs> he was one of my favourite characters. Fantastic. The Barfly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, if I go to Tony Lowry's or Corny's and Tip Tom, people mention my name too, but it's it's slightly different. You know, it's a kind of sense of disappointment that I'm here. It's not it's not that kind of celebratory kind of, uh, you know, uh, welcome that you yeah. get. So yeah. he was he was one of my favourites too. He was uh, fantastic. Uh, John Ratz, Ratzenberger. Yes. Uh, he was Cliff, of course. He, he, was, a Cliff. Postman, he was the though, postman. He was yeah. the postman. The know-it-all. He yeah. knew about everything. Yeah. He, he, was, yeah. he seemed to, I don't know where he got time to... Uh, <laughs> to, to do his uh, uh, postal work but anyway yeah. uh, so that was Cliff uh, Kelsey Grammer of course uh, mm. you know played Dr. Fraser Crane yeah. and of course then you had the spin-off didn't you with uh, the yeah. TV show Fraser which he, he turned out to be a huge star yeah. And he was brilliant in it as oh, well. He was just super absolutely young. great. And of course, Woody. Who can forget uh, Woody? Woody Harrelson, who played Woody Boyd. No, he um, became a huge star after. Was it because of Cheers he became a huge star? What, I, was no, he a it film was. Star before it, it, that? No, it was. No, no, no stars. Yeah. Uh, no, he starred in in Cheers first. I don't think he did anything before mm. Cheers. Uh, to be honest with you, got a uh, clip there, just uh, number five of uh, of Woody. There, you might just get out a quick play. This is when he started. Hi, I'm Sam Malone. Howdy. I'm a friend of Coach's. Is he around? I'm sorry, Woody. I guess you hadn't heard. No, uh, Coach passed away a couple months ago. Boy, he had a lot of friends. I don't. I don't remember him mentioning a Woody. Well, we never met. We were kind of like pen pals. <laughs> you you exchanged letters? No pens. <laughs> <laughs> It was, it was Coach's idea. See, I got in the habit of writing to the bars in the big city in the hopes of landing a job. And once I wrote a letter to Cheers and Coach answered my letter, I liked him right away. Did you say you're looking for work? See, I tend bar back home in Indiana. Well, it's not a bar exactly. It's more like a pigsty with a jukebox. <laughs> if we had a jukebox. I'd like you to meet Woody Boy. Woody, this is Carla Tortell. Hi, uh, ma'am. Ma'am. What's that supposed to mean? I believe it's a term of respect. No wonder it sounded so weird. Who's this guy? Well, he's a friend of coaches and he's uh, looking for work. What do you think? You want to give him a try? Uh, I think we better keep him, Sam. He wouldn't be safe on the streets. <laughs> That was a great script too, wasn't mm. it? Mm, brilliant. Yeah. So that that was that was his introduction, brilliant, and of course yeah. he references Coach, who was fantastic too. I can't remember the name of the actor. I had it written down there. I thought I did, but um, Coach Coach was fantastic in it too. He kind of took over uh, Coach's place in it too. He was, did. Uh, I was just remembering to um, uh, Kelsey Grammer's girlfriend. Do you remember? Uh, she she was a psychiatrist <laughs> yeah, as well. She was. She was very straight laced, wasn't she? She was. She had very really, black hair. And, she uh, was, yeah. and actually uh, it was funny when she was um, in any um, scenes with. Carla. I mean, she was just she <laughs> couldn't get polar opposites she couldn't get Carla yeah, at all. Absolutely. That was that was somebody very... saying that Kirsty starred in North and South as well as Virginia ah. Hazard. Is that right? Okay, yeah, I, I'm not familiar with that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, listen, she did she did different stuff. She did Big Brother. Yeah. Um, did she, she? Did, she did. She did some stuff like that too. Right. She did some reality TV stuff too. Um, so she had done. But look, I mean, it's really cheers, isn't it? Oh, somebody telling us as well. I, I yeah, I had a memory of this. Uh, Rhea Perlman. She was married to a funny man, uh, Danny DeVito. Correct. At one point. Correct. She, she was. One of our knowledgeable listeners. She was. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. She was indeed. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty much it. So, I mean, I, I, look, it's nice well, to chat about her. Well, it's not quite it, though. Sure, it's <clears> not, because, of course, almost a star as well was the music, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Should have yeah. seen the song. Yeah, yeah. So maybe we'll finish with that. So, uh, yeah. uh, Kirstie Alley, uh, rest in peace, uh, sadly passed away, as we said, mm. on uh, Monday. And uh, I might have a little look at uh, some of the old episodes of Cheers over the weekend. I'm sure you can Absolutely. get them on YouTube and nice, all that. Nice idea, indeed. Uh, you didn't get a chance to see Meg and uh, Harry last night. Uh. I, I watched the first two episodes. Did you? Yeah, yeah. So so go on, tell me. 
Really? Do you want yeah. to talk about that? I was talking about it this morning on air. Um, I think the real stuff is coming in a third uh, is installment. It? They're all there. So I, I managed to get through two, and the first two are just um, of them when they were kids and growing up and all that kind of thing, and how her acting career started. Uh, I said on air this morning, one thing that was off-putting is she calls him H. He calls her M. So that's and and H texted me and then M came in and all the, and I was going oh, please God oh, above make God. this stop, but I do think the stuff that they're worried about with the accusations of racism and the newspapers and all that kind of thing I think that's coming in the uh, in the third one so right. I haven't seen that yet I'm gonna try and have a look uh, you know but just just before like again I, I don't feel I have to say this but in case people are thinking why, why would you be bothered it's like the crown I was just I was curious I was mm. curious about it and there's so much talk about it and all that. Um, it seems it seems like a good watch. So maybe over the weekend. Yeah, I'm still watching the crown myself. I'm fairly up there now. Um, yeah, it's great. Great, yeah. I love it a bit. Okay, have a great weekend. All right, let's have a listen to the theme tune from Cheers. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. All those nights when you've got no lights, the check is in the mail, and your little angel hung the cat up by its tail, and your third fiance. Remembering cheers this morning and particularly remembering the late Christy Alley there with uh, Andrew. Uh, news and information's coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Time for our Friday panel, and I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by Connor O'Brien. And Connor is well known to you at this point, finance uh, professional. Peter Ryan is with me as well, and uh, Peter is a, a community activist. And as he says, he's just himself. And uh, Mary Newman Julian will be joining us a little later on as well. But good morning to you both, and uh, you're very welcome, Peter. It's your first time. Yeah, good morning, Fran. And um, it is. I'm a bit nervous today, now because I'm not used to this. Don't be, uh, don't this be nervous stage, in the least. But, not, uh, not thanks at all. for uh, asking me. And so, yeah, we're yeah. delighted to have you, Peter. Thanks very much indeed. Um, almost half of Irish people said they'd be less likely to vote for a United Ireland if changes were made to the flag or the national anthem. Now, that's according to some research. Um, from the Irish Times which surveyed 1,000 voters in the North and the South. The most important issue for voters in the Republic was whether a united Ireland would be peaceful and while the economy and the health service were the main issues for the people in Northern Ireland. Connor, can I start with you? First of all, were you surprised that the flag and the anthem would be an issue? Um, I suppose the flag is our national national symbol, so I could understand why it would be an emotional topic. I mean, you it, the flag is used for for all sorts of national symbols, uh, funerals and uh, flying the flag at half mast and everything else. So it's quite a quite a proud symbol for Ireland. And I mean, you see the tricolour all over the world. Um, so I can understand why people would be protective of that. The national anthem, 
I think people could maybe leave or, or take it, to be honest. I say half of them probably don't even know the full words mm. of it. Mm. So I could understand why we may need to adopt probably a more inclusive language, maybe use it in English rather than rather than Irish. Um, but I I would understand the people's protection of the flag, absolutely. What about yourself? I mean, how do you feel about it yourself? If it was a trade-off... Um, to get a peaceful, united 32 counties that would embrace everybody, would it be worth the trade-off at that point? Absolutely. I mean, if peace is at stake, it, it, there's no question of yeah. it. I mean, the, the the fantastic work has been done since 1997 on the Good Friday Agreement just to keep peace. I think uh, if, if a flag is what holds that up, then absolutely. But I think there'll probably be bigger issues rather than a flag being the deal-breaker Right. Scenario. But again, I found it interesting that these were top of the heap for, for an awful lot of Absolutely. Uh, people. And, uh, you know, according to some of the listeners that were on to us, they were saying that, yeah, you know, we, we don't want to give that up to them. And again, that made me think, yeah, that's not the thinking. Sure, <laughs> yeah. It's, not, it's an us rather than it's them a, situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's, it's unfortunately, what has evolved over the years is this reality of us and them. Mm. And I suppose that the... The, the way it's viewed now is, okay, the the, the north of Ireland is almost like a little independent state mm. off of Ireland, off of England, and does its own little thing. Mm. Um, unfortunately, they're, they're not self-sufficient, so they rely on both to, to, for the subventions. Mm. Um, but I think uh, I think it's a bit, it's going to be a, a while yet, as your listeners were saying during the week, that before we get to a stage of where we're thinking of an us, mm. where even the people of the north think of us mm. as an island, I mean, right, and if you go up to the north, they very much think of themselves as their own little independent yes. uh, state. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of long way to go yet before we get to that point of where it's an inclusive. And and we'll talk about that timescale in a moment uh, as well. Peter, I'm wondering about your thoughts about this. Did it surprise you that the anthem and the flag would be way up there for people? I suppose really, Fran, what surprised me is that this subject is even brought up. Yeah. We're miles away from all of this. And why a flag or a national anthem of that is brought up beats me but do you think it's too premature of I course mean, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah we're we're so far away from from all of this that it's it's i think it's filling up um time yes. really just something to talk about saying that we're fed up of talking about the country and the state of it and all the rest of it but to go back to the story of the flag the flag is green white and gold is that not Including everybody. But yeah, both both traditions yeah. for sure. And, and, yeah. that's, and, and, and the white in the middle being, being peace. Yes, the symbol of peace. and yeah. talk about the national anthem. Mm. The national anthem, maybe we'll get an Irish fellow to write it next time round. Mm. So that to me wouldn't be a problem, like, you know. So. Yeah, so you'd have no problem with that, would you? Not with the national anthem, uh, no, none. Okay. And why, that, that's Pat Carney's song. Why, what do you mean an Irish fellow? Well, way? it was written by an American. Was it? Yes. Right. The old national anthem was written by Americans, so right. like I've nothing against Americans. That's yeah. not a problem. But yeah. maybe we could uh, maybe get Shane McGowan to write a, <laughs> a new national anthem. What, problems, what, you know? what do you mean when you say that it's so far out? So you you give me your time scale on this. Then you're not talking in the next five years, ten years. Well, are you? the first thing is the people in the north will want to join us. If so, but they don't. Mm. No, n- neither of the communities up there mm. want this to go ahead now. Right. And we're long, long way out from this, if ever. Because right. but why, Catholics why are outnumbering Protestants at this point up there. Now Catholics outnumbering Protestants at this time yes, for but, the first but time. The Catholics, so. um, not, not I, I all think, of them. Once I think, not, not no. Yeah. The majority yeah. of them, I think, are 
quite happy with the deal they're getting above that. You know, I don't mean politically, but mm. I mean financially. You know, right. So, give me a time scale as far as you're concerned. I mean, oh, should oh, we oh. even wonder will this ever happen? Is, is I think you... so. Yeah. Like, okay. We are finding it difficult enough now to manage our own twenty-six. Mm. Like, there's not a big appetite, I think, to bring on more, bring this into the play at all at the moment. Yes, because the subvention from. Uh, Britain, of course, is ten billion. That's what they pump into it. So yeah. it's it's it's, it's so a lot of it money. Is, I it suppose, is yeah. very financial. Like in the in the north, there, there are so many people paid by the government as such. The, mm. um, the public service is way bigger than it is down here. Mm. So, like, there are very few people going to really want to give up that yes, when to come course, down to Northern it. Northern people know. are looking at our HSE and the mess that yes. it's in as well and that's certainly mm. probably not very uh, attractive. Mary Newman Julian is with us. Mary, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Good Apologies to see you. for the delay. Not at all. You were caught up in traffic out I there. I was, you? indeed. God, you, you, you poor thing. Thank you so much for coming into us. Uh, we've just been talking about uh, again, the conversation around a united Ireland, but the fact that the flag and the anthem were up there in terms of impediment for people to support it, if if they thought they might lose uh, those. Did that surprise you, Mary? Yeah, I, I think um, I think everything has to be on the table when we're looking at a united Ireland. I'm kind of surprised to hear you saying that it may never happen because I think many of us down here, I could be wrong, but I think many of us down here aspire to a united mm. Ireland. Um, and I'd like to see it in my lifetime mm. And I, I totally understand that there's a lot of money here on the table. There's a lot of money involved, big state uh, presence in the north. Mm. Um, but I do think, you know, with the European Union, with the support of the European Union and, and um, providing help for cross-community growth, for enterprise, for development. I mean, the, the north is quite enterprising as well. There just is a large state support uh, mechanism there as well. Um, I, I do think it's possible but it is, I do agree it's a long way off. I, I don't, I'd like to have said five years ago, I'd like to have said in the next five to ten years. I know I'm still thinking in the next five to ten years. But I right. think realistically, if you're talking about the process starting with a poll or whatever, there'd be an awful lot of groundwork to do. And one thing that struck me um, that I thought was very uh, supportive toward that was, you know, when, when Brexit occurred, that the Irish government ensured that students in the north would still be able to avail of the Erasmus programme. Yes. Yeah. I think it's um, simple steps like that will help... Will help inclusive, in, in, that inclusive actions yeah. like that yes. will, will help people in the north who, who may be undecided or, or, or still want to remain in the union say, so, well, actually, you know, the Republic are going to look after us mm. and it may not be called the, the new entity may mm. not be called the Republic of Ireland, most likely won't be. Um, they will look after us, they will include us, they will support us, and, mm. and therefore everything does have to be on the table, be it the anthem, yes. the flag, or but whatever. What, will it, what do you think it would look like? I mean, there's so many options. I mean, will it be a 32-county Ireland government from Dublin? Will it have a devolved government itself? And if it does, will the unions have a veto? All these yeah. things, you know, that we have to take into account. I would think in the short term, um, it would be, I swear, in my mind, it would be a devolved government in Belfast. Yes. And then a central government over time. Like, it's not going to happen overnight. You're so talking you see the phased... A phased yeah. approach. Yeah. And and some, some of the North Sea... Dublin as the devil's yeah, the I devil's know. place. So 
maybe it's a new central government in in the Midlands or in Monaghan or, or so you know something I, I don't know like but I everything's think everything up has, for grabs everything is up for grabs very interesting you know? currency of course is going to be a huge issue isn't it no. Well, no. no. It has to be. It has to be the euro. Like, no, oh, I know, but I mean, it's going to be a big issue, isn't it? Like, you know, I mean, how how is that going to work in terms of? Uh, but sure, didn't we transfer to the euro overnight here? Right. Okay. I wouldn't worry about that. I wouldn't remember being not, in yeah. Shannon Airport, sending himself off to New Zealand, and next thing we had euros on New Year's Day. We were used to it within a few days. Yeah. I wouldn't. No, that wouldn't. Would you not? Yeah. No, that wouldn't. Uh, uh, legal issues. Now that's going to be really, really. I mean. You know, we, we have a very different legal system in a we lot do, of ways. We you do, know? we do have a different legal system, but it would all have to be subsumed, subsumed into this, the one entity yes. over time—a phased approach, you know. Yeah. Um, aligned with, in my view, all of the European Union standards. Yeah. And if you look at Brexit now and what's happening with the Northern Protocol and the issues that surround that, yeah, like some of the main issues really are in terms of um, my area, animal health mm. and food production, mm. and the. People, the population in the north are going to have to adhere to EU standards because of the trade. Unless you're going to have a hard border, which we're not going to have, mm. the business in the north are going to have to adhere to EU standards. Yes. And that's that's a big headache, but it's not insurmountable. Right. Okay. But you would like to see it happen. I, I, I should have asked you that, uh, Con. Is that, would you like that? Is it, But is it some sort of romantic ideal or is it something that you genuinely feel about? Uh, you'd like it. 32 county Ireland, would you? Yes, I think so. I think uh, I think most Irish people would, would aspire to the nationalist view of a, a united Ireland. Um, I suppose it's it's something that I suppose we'll come back to the point Peter made earlier. Is it just because you're Catholic doesn't mean you're a nationalist? Yes, yeah, and so of it course. Doesn't yeah, imply that, that you're, you're going to get, yeah. get that result. But I think uh, I think innately in every Irish person, I mean, knowing the troubled history we've had, mm. I think uh, it's understandable why anybody would want a united Ireland. Yeah, and what, what about you on that, Peter? I mean, is oh, it something you aspire to? Like, you, you're from a, 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 a part of, of the world yeah, absolutely absolute steeped in history there. Yes, yeah. and, and there's no doubt. It's everyone, every Irish, like I say, wanting to talk to you. Yeah. It's ours, it's our country. Right. Somebody decided to divide it up. So even though you think ago. it may be a long way down the road, it's an aspiration you would like yeah, to Yeah, that's happen. the question you asked was yeah. about the flag and they can't even put a little bit of a government together above though the last two years. Yeah. And like listening to Mary, they, well, the people have put it together. The, pe- the people have put together the government. It's, yeah, it's the ve- certain yeah. size of vetoes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's my point exactly. And, and both Sinn Fein and, yeah. of course, the yeah. unions have, yeah. have used and the veto. Yeah. Th- after listening to this early part of the conversation here, my timeline for this would be gone out further again. <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> just. Well, think, look at all the problems, look at all of this. But look it's at how, I'm choosing my words carefully here now, yeah. but look how terribly they have managed Brexit. Mm. And yes. the North is a minuscule part of their Brexit. Don't mm. And they, they still can't mm. even resolve that. Mm. So I, I thought earlier that maybe this would be the last thing on Rishi Sunak's mind mm. would be to get into something about a debate about Northern Ireland. But actually it could solve a lot of this. If you can cut off Northern Ireland and say, okay... Mm. Take it back, mm. uh, and that solves a lot of his what problems. What did you mean the there? Just off mic, you said they don't care, Mary. What do you mean? It's unimportant to them. What I goes don't on. think Northern Ireland featured in the Brexit mm. uh, referendum. Mm. I don't think, I don't think the British government inherently care about uh, uh, about Northern Ireland. It's not a priority, mm. and to us, it's important. And Fran, you said it's a romantic notion. Yes, it is a romantic notion. Mm. But what's wrong with a bit of romance? <laughs> Weren't we all weird on yes. songs about, you know, the four green fields? And, you know, we, we 
Yeah. That's part of our culture. Sometimes and I, worry, I worry about that sometimes, though, Mary, because that can lead to, to people taking up arms and, that get, you know, these romantic notions and oh, all of this kind of thing, if you know what I, I mean. I fully agree and, you know, there for the greatest of God, yes. Grand Frost down here singing our songs. I, I yes. totally agree. Yeah. And, and, you know, young, innocent people were, were dragged into the conflict on both yeah. and sides. And in 1916, the amount of poets involved and then Abs- it became all that sort yeah. of literary yeah. aspect to but, it as well. You but know, there's nothing but, wrong with a bit of romance and it, it is a romantic ideal yes. but that doesn't necessarily mean it, it, it won't come to pass and mm. I, I would certainly hope it will in my right. lifetime. Y- okay. You probably need a few accountants in the business here now Fran to make sure sense of it all make, and bring make, some order onto us. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Give me an estimate on the time as far as, now we don't know what's going to happen down the road with pandemics and wars and all, but what do you think? You, do 30 you think years. 30 years. What about you Mary? Oh God. Um, I... 2025. Oh, yeah. do you? Do you? D- yeah. To to go. Well, I mean, I think to start the the phase process, yes. you're talking five to ten, ten years, being realistic. Yes. And then a 15, 20 year, you know, to completion. Oh. And like, there's going to be setbacks. There's going to be bumps along the road. That's that's just the nature of politics. I suppose. Uh, give me an estimate from you from your point of view. I'm going to go the other side. I'm going to say 30 to 50. Wow. At okay. least. There's, there's, we're, we're nowhere near this point of even having a referendum about it. I mean, and to have the maturity in government on both sides. I mean, no Irish government is going to touch it in the next two years while they're finishing out their term. Yes. And when the new one comes in, they're not going to touch it either in the first two years. So <laughs> you're, you're talking a long, long way before anybody wants to touch right. this. But potato. the possibility is of a Sinn Féin-led government next time round. And certainly I, I heard Mary Lou's uh, address to the ICMSA. And in every address that she, she gives, there's reference to it. You know? Absolutely. But I mean, she's not going to be the majority. Yeah. So there's going, there's going to be, and it's not just Ireland deciding this. It has to be the North course, and yeah. the US and the UK and ev- all and the various factions within all of that. Exactly, as well. and yeah. I, yeah. I don't think it's uh, so. Mary Lou might like to say that to get her election, but she mightn't actually be able to deliver it so quickly. All right, final word on it, Peter, before I go to the break. Um, yeah, like 30, 30 to fifty years yes. uh, is kind of to nearly ruling me out of being ever in a, <laughs> a united. Not Ireland. a bit of it, but is it is it driving? I mean. <laughs> Is it part of people's conversation in pubs? Do, no, what what no. I'm trying to say is, do ordinary people really... Definitely not. And yeah. um, I pick up a lot of um, my topics and never everything from conversations yeah. Yeah. over a pint here and there. And it certainly has never come up in any company I've been in. Nobody, nobody really cares about... I don't this think that's is true. too far. No, I'm not saying nobody about Ireland being united, but nobody cares this minute whether we're going to have to sacrifice our flag and our national anthem right. because, like you said, we're the goods of 50 years away from that. Right, you don't Do agree, Connor? Well, I don't think pe- people uh, are, are not talking about it. I think we've lived with the reality of it's not going to happen yes. for the last 50, 60, 70 years since we've had how many thousands of people killed. And, I mean, it just never was even an... an an option. It wasn't even conceived that we could ever have the, the the United Ireland. So I could never. I could. I disagree that I don't think people care about it. I think people do care mm-hmm. about it, but it's just been kind of. All right. Let me let me take a break. We'll be back with our panel in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie
Welcome back to our Friday panel. Peter Ryan is with me, Mary Newman and uh, Connor O'Brien as well. Now, Leo Varadkar has declined to comment on that video showing him socialising in a nightclub. Uh, it's gone viral, of course, on uh, the internet. Now, the video sparked a, a flood of comment and debate online. However, the Tonish described it as a personal matter which related to his private life and so was separate from his professional life as a politician. So, what about private life if you're a politician? Are you entitled to that? Or is there a responsibility to behave in a certain fashion? Mary, do you want to take this one? Um, first of all, your family's steeped in politics. What, what do you make of that? That, you know, you say, no, that's my private life. It doesn't relate to what I do. I think politicians are anybody in public life. I believe they are entitled to a private life. And I think um, if anybody... A public persona or a private persona. If if they go out for dinner or go out to a nightclub or go out to the pub, I think they have a realistic an expectation that they'll be left in peace and that nobody will be videoing them or taking pictures of them without their consent. Um, I I I I think in Ireland we're very lucky in that politicians in general are quite accessible to us. A lot of us, you know, would know our local councillors, mm. our TDs. And I'd hate to see that change. I mean, it's 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 nice. I'm not a pub person myself, really, but it, it's nice to know you can go and meet people or you might see your local politician in the pub or in a restaurant. And I do think um, that most people do respect that and that politicians uh, are entitled to a private life. Um, I think it was a gross invasion of privacy. And I think as long as particularly politician, as long as what they're doing isn't illegal or isn't interfering with their their day-to-day, the day-to-day work of government, I think, you know, just leave them alone and, and let mm. them have their private life. Um, Is there a case, though, of having cake and eating it in that, OK, they want to have a private life at certain times, but other times they'll trot out the family out on the... On, on, on the pedestal and sort of involve them in photo shoots and all of this I, kind yeah, of thing, there, you know? There, 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 there is, is a little bit of hypocrisy there along the way, isn't there? I wouldn't there? call it hypocrisy. It's possibly a bit of double standards, mm. you know. One, semantics, you said, Mary. Yes. Semantics. <laughs> but yes. that being said, saying that politicians or anybody are entitled to a private life, mm. um, I do think politicians and anybody who is in a position of responsibility they do have a personal responsibility not to leave themselves in a vulnerable position mm. that they would be in a position to be um, exposed or taken advantage of or whatever. And, and they, that is part of your professional responsibility um, to protect your personal life. And if on one hand, as you said, you're bringing your partner or, or your wife or your husband or whoever or the mm. line of lovely kids or whatever, yeah. it, it, then you're, you are opening yourself up to more public scrutiny. And mm. I suppose that's a personal decision, that balance between how much do you use your family to gain yes. attention or share your life. And some people are big into sharing and some yes. people aren't. I mean, there are, I know some politicians who are notoriously private. Yes, yeah, and absolutely. Yeah. nobody would know if they're married or single or whatever. And... That's their personality, and 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 they're entitled to that, and mm. um, and they're unlikely to be the sort of person who will be out night clubbing in Dublin at the could weekend. Could I just uh, before I move on to the lads? Could I ask you one more question that came up time and time and time again, and on, on social media? And the point that we're making: if this was me, Hall Martin, with some young lady, um, in a nightclub, photographed, um, would it be a very different conversation? Would it be a very very different different media? Um, outlook on this? 
Um, I I don't know. I I think we've come a long way since. I think Ireland has come a long way since uh, a presidential candidate was questioned about her sleeping arrangements. I I I do think we've come a, a lot less judgmental as a society, and I do think. Um, I, I, I know there's a lot of people very surprised and very shocked mm. and think it was a fake video and now they realise mm. it's not and they're mm. upset And that's about why it. nobody touched it for so long because people weren't sure, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So are you, ask, are you asking I, me if, just, if, if, it was, if it was Michal Martin with yeah, I, some young In other words, if it was a heterosexual sexual, yeah. situation as opposed to a homosexual situation. Now I'm, I know I'm putting you in an awkward position there, but do you think it would have been a very different conversation around it? I think the same delay would, would have ensued before do it you? was converted, uh, because it would have been, the, was it fake or wasn't it mm. fake? Um there possibly would have been more discussion about it sooner because it is seen as more sensitive. Now, I, I don't understand mm. why, and maybe I'm completely and utterly living under a rock, I don't understand how people think that just because you're in a, a, a gay nightclub that you are less, you're more entitled to privacy than you are in another nightclub. Mm. I, I, I don't understand that. Maybe... Maybe it's because homosexual, uh, homosexuality was outlawed for so long and they feel they deserve more protection. But if you're out in a nightclub, regardless if you're straight or gay, and you're snogging somebody that you shouldn't be snogging, does it matter what sort of a nightclub you're in? Right. Like, right. Do you get my point? Like, I do, I, I do. I, I, I don't point, understand yeah. why additional protection is, is required. Right. Now, if somebody's willing to tell me, that's fine. I, I'm willing to learn, but... I, I I think people have an expectation of privacy, but then if you're in a public licensed premises in a public space yes. and not in the privacy of your own home... And some of your actions might be exploited in some way, as you a- say, so, so it's worth that. Peter, it would be very interesting your take uh, on this. The right to a private life and where where does the well, where does that stop and where does your I, professional life finish? I think everything that? Mary have said, I agree with... Mm. In, in in the sense of politicians, private life, all of that. But I have a completely different take altogether on this whole issue. It's the social media. Mm. Yeah. It's who had the right to video somebody mm. and put it where they like. Who gave anyone that right? Mm. No, the phones have are and will destroy us. Because nobody now has any comfort. You go... go. So you can't have a private you life. You can't have a private life. life. You go out for a pint mm. and you'll um, ask somebody to sing a song mm. and they'll oblige you and mm. it's a beautiful song and the next thing he'll say to you the next night or she, some fake, I put that thing up oh, on yeah. Facebook. I agree with you. I, it's somewhere. a grave so intrusion. Don't ever again ask me to sing a song because mm. I don't want that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's, social media is the major problem. Not right. what happened there. Now, I was showing this the other night, and I said, that's Sorry, but fake. before you go on, this is an experienced politician, an experienced public figure. Do you not, would you not take that into account? I would, I would uh, be very worried that he'll actually be leading my country and my government for the next two and a half years, if that is his judgment, really. Right. And it's not uh, about know, anything it's not else. About it's just about else. judgment. Yes. Is that it? Yeah. Yes. Like... Look, anybody in public life to that extent, surely to God they know yeah. that 
everyone is just waiting with these social media now to right. catch them out. And, and is to, it naive to believe yes, that? Yes, the naivety that, that of it. I, I'm it, entitled to, yes. I, I can do. Yeah. Yes, like just when I go away, though, yeah. uh, with this, with, on this subject, mm. like years ago, there was a, one telephone maybe in the in the public house or whatever. Mm. And it used to be great fun because the phone would ring and they'd someone go to answer us and they'd go over and they'd, there'd be someone looking for Jimmy and he'd shout out, is Jimmy here? And they'd be, they'd be looking <laughs> And you, you, you go back to the, to the phone, no, there's no, no Jimmy, sorry, he wasn't no in Jimmy at all today. Yeah, yeah. And then you'd go up and Jimmy would be after buying you a pint. Like, yes. So it was, do you know, that's a was, very different world. That was real it? life, yeah. that was yeah. good fun. But now... Every Jimmy is on social media. It's all invasive. Connor, yeah, what about around. this? Uh, you were nodding a lot when, when Mary was talking there. So private life politicians? Yeah, I totally agree with what Mary said. Um, I think this was the unfortunate situation is Ireland is so small. Uh, it's very hard for politicians to be anonymous. Mm. I mean, it's almost impossible to go to a restaurant and not be recognised, especially when you're tarnished or a Taoiseach. Mm. Um, I think... Uh, not to drag it into a sexuality debate, but there's probably five or six gay nightclubs mm. in Ireland that you could probably go to, or gay bars, or mm. whatever you want to call it. Um, so I think he's always going to struggle to get that sort of privacy in a public setting, as we've said. So I feel a little bit of sympathy for him, um, but I do also agree that he should have had a little bit more cop on in terms of the potential of mm. what, could, what could have happened for, for, for his socialising. Yeah. Was he naive about that? In a little way? bit, yes. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. But, uh, I mean, when you're the leader of Fine Gael and ex-Taoiseach and Taoiseach, blah, 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 I mean, he is entitled to it some, some time off. He is entitled to whatever sort of personal arrangements he has absolutely yeah I so mean, i don't think it's uh, i don't think anybody argues about that but it's just putting himself in a position of ridicule it, or, or it, it, exploitation it, or whatever leaving you. himself vulnerable yes. to yeah. being yeah. exposed and and being whatever but and the the other thing and i'd look to your experience on this as well mary is what about security i mean i'd be concerned about a guy like that too in terms of security i my understanding is that his his guardy Anytime I've met him in a yeah. social setting, the guardy have been... So there would be somebody guys. somewhere, would They'd there? be there yeah. somewhere, yeah. Right. Okay. But yeah. obviously, they must have been watching the camera. Maybe that's just... I, 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 don't, I don't know, but... Yeah. Um, I do think the social media, as Peter said, is... Not, not to change the topic, but social media is so invasive and it's really affecting people's lives. Mm. And I see younger people, you're way younger than me... Um, and their whole life is is dominated by social media and they live their lives through social media. And if something happens in their real life, it doesn't really happen unless they post it on social media. That's kind of... Mm. It's a very false reality, I think, to me. But mm. it is the new reality. So I think some of us older ones are either going to have to get with the picture or... or but do you, I, I think it's do you agree with Peter that this really is the big story of this, is the whole social media thing and how, you know... I mean, well, we I mean, don't have private lives anymore. You don't really. have private lives and, and that went... That video went round Ireland in a few hours yeah. and around the world. Yeah. It, that's the, the reality. That's the power of social media and the power of the internet. Um, 
So it's back to personal responsibility and protecting your private life. Yeah. If you want a private life, like if you want to protect your private life, it, you have to take steps. But then some people may not want to protect, they may want mm. attention. I'm, I'm not saying that's the case yeah. In, yeah, know, yeah. In, in this situation. But some people do crave the attention and, and want people talking about them and that's mm. influencers and, and whatever and that's, that, yeah. that's how they live their lives. Yes, Peter. The person that posted this video, Dude, have they any answers, anything to answer? Well, they, they got a lot of criticism, I must say, no, on, like, on social media in terms of that, doing that. That phone yeah. should be, they should be able to pick it out mm. and that person should be interviewed and asked. Right, but Why it's not it's not illegal, you see, one, not, what they I did. I don't think it is illegal. Yeah. Is it illegal? Is it... It, it is illegal to video somebody without their consent. I uh, imagine so. A photograph. Well, yeah. if it is, the, half the country would be in jail. You know? Yeah, but see, it's, it's unenforceable, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's something I deeply resent because from a musician's point of absolutely. view, they're at it all the blooming time. And it'll be the one night you'll be singing all out of tune and the thing will be just <laughs> wicked. And it'll be <laughs> up everywhere. And, oh, <laughs> don't get me started on it. Yeah, but it's like you have to align real life yes. to fit in with social media instead of just living your life regardless or as they say now living your best life living apparently best is what life. we're all supposed yes. to be doing absolutely um, yeah finally um, just around the table before we leave it connor has it damaged him will it damage him i mean no. what it was a week two weeks time is it he'll be t-shirt no i don't think so no no mary i don't think it's damaged him as such but i think maybe those that supported him might be coming under a bit of pressure, supported him to become leader and continue to support him. I'd say they're probably coming under a bit of pressure from membership around the country to say what's the story, yeah. Um, but I think it'll just pass. I think it'll just be a... I, th- I really believe it'll just pass. It'll just be a a, mm. a, a whirlwind before he becomes Taoiseach. It, it is igniting all the things because I saw the front of the papers this morning talking about the leaks again, for example, you know. And oh, is that uh, in the I, I, it, Yeah, it's just igniting other stuff to be discussed again. So I'm just wondering... Well, well that's back down to personal responsibility and professional responsibility. Yes. And it's it's a very separate issue, but it is about professional conduct, isn't yes. it? And how you operate within, within government and within your... Re- re- Professional responsibility. Listen, final word before we go to the break. Has it damaged him? Will it damage him? I think so, yeah. And I think it's very uncomfortable for his party. Right, supporters. More so, more so than anything. And I think it's it gives a little bit different uh, outlook. The man that's going to be running our country for the next two years uh, is popping up in this kind of a setup. All right, okay. Somebody saying that, uh, and this is going back to our previous conversation, that Brexit plays a big part in determining when a united Ireland will happen. I presume everybody would agree with that. It certainly plays some some part in it. Um, Okay, lots of stuff in about Leo that we won't go near. Um, We'll take a break and we'll be right back. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 
And you're very welcome back to our Friday panel. One of our listeners saying you didn't name the panel. I did name the panel. Anyway, Peter Ryan is with us, Mary Newman is with us, and Connor O'Brien as well. Now, can we talk about uh, the career breaks for the teachers? Because they, they could be suspended under plans being considered by the government in response to a shortage of qualified staff in schools. Now, under existing rules, a teacher may take a career break for a year or more, which can be extended, subject to the employer's uh, approval, for up to five years at any one time, or... 10 years during the teacher's entire career. Now, there is a crisis in recruitment and retention of teachers. So I'm wondering, is this a necessary step? And I know the irony of it has to be that the Minister for Education herself is on a career break from uh, teaching. But uh, can I start with you, Connor? How do you feel about this? I I understand the perspective they're coming from. Mm. I do agree that it's probably a necessary measure, but I think... It's not the only measure. I mean, the, the, this is just a symptom. The reality or the cause of this is lack of accommodation, lack of housing, poor salaries, blah, blah, blah. So there's a lot more that needs to be fixed. This is just trying to solve an immediate crisis. Mm. But I, I have, what I haven't seen is any statistics on how many teachers take career breaks every year and how many is this actually going to put back into the system. Yeah. And well, also it, timing. I mean, it, it seems like an awful lot, Mary. And, uh, you know, these kids are go- going abo- abroad now to try and make some money to, to maybe be able to build a home here or buy a home here. Yeah, but it's not just young teachers. I mean... Teachers of any age may need to to get a career take a career break. Um, but personal circumstances, they might have a, a kid with special needs themselves that they have to prioritise. A carer, the a carer, or for an elderly yeah. parent or a spouse or something. And access to a career break has always been part of, you know, it's something that teachers could avail of if if necessary. As in all the public service, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Um. I'd be looking at it kind of from a different perspective. Maybe a long-term incentive for those that don't take a career break. You Good know, idea. let's yeah. let's incentivise yeah. people. Like in many multinationals, you get after three or four mm-hmm. years, you get a long-term incentive payment, kind of a bonus payment. So anybody who doesn't take a career break or doesn't take a career break for 10 years or something like that, so as to mm. incentivise people to stay here and make it tax-free or something so it takes the edge of not going to the UAE or whatever to, mm. to, to earn money. Now, of course, if you do like, that for teachers... <laughs> nurses you know, and guards nurses, are guards, you know, yeah, but civil I mean, it servants. It doesn't have to be enormous, but I mean, who, yeah. who? Okay, then you'd say, oh, well, you're penalising people who take maternity leave or paternity leave. No, that's I would see that as different than outside, a career break. Outside of that that's outside. Yeah. This is unpaid leave, so an incentive for unbroken service. Um, and if if teachers, I mean, if you're saying you're going to stop career breaks for teachers, are you going to stop it across all the civil service? Mm. You know, if it is one hat fits all. Um, Teachers don't always get career breaks when they ask for them. Mm. That's, you know, it's, it's it's at the discretion of the, the principal is it and the board. Is that the way it works? The, the, it That's could be my denied, understanding because okay. I was speaking to a friend about this and she said a colleague of hers was refused, okay. refused it and, and she really needed to take it because she had somebody to look after at home, you know. So, you know, on one hand people say, oh, what about them and their grand permanent yeah. pensionable job and good holidays and whatever. I but wouldn't I be presume, a teacher for love nor money. Nor me. Such I, a tough I, I job. presume you go along with Connor though and say it's the bigger picture is the issue Absolutely. here, isn't it? It's the housing, it's the it's, cost it's of the housing. It's the cost of living, you know. Yes. And the cost of living seems to be continually pinned on, on Putin in the Ukraine. I mean, the cost of groceries started going up about this time last year, yeah. if not about last October, November. Yes. Pre Ukraine, pre everything. Cost of everything started going up. I noticed my grocery bill over a year ago. And, <laughs> and then the energy, obviously, that, that has, has escalated. I suppose the thing for teachers and Gardaí and nurses is their their unions are stronger and they're able to voice this and the cost of living crisis that affects them affects all mm. of us across society but we just I suppose hear more from them and fair play to them for having strong unions 
I wouldn't be in favour of stopping um, career breaks career because breaks. some people really yeah. need to take them. But I do think they should look at the broader picture. Right. As Peter, said. Peter, what about you? Because rural schools finding it particularly difficult, I would imagine, to field panels all of the time. And uh, yeah, but that's nothing to do with career breaks, Fran. Um, whoever came up with the bright idea of banning career breaks, God love us. Mm. If somebody don't want to be teaching your child mm. or my child, if they need a year out for any reason, and you force them to stay in the classroom, is mm. that what you want for your children? That's, very good just point. that's yeah. a great point. That's yeah. a great yeah. point. Is that what yeah. you want for your yeah. children? No, yeah. it's of not. course it's Particularly not. Particularly if it's a situation, like yeah. you said, that they need to be caring for yes, somebody or absolutely. something like that. Yeah. Now, uh, the, other, the other thing is, uh, it's, there's plenty of people out there with degrees, mm. with masters, that have to go to the UAE mm. uh, to teach because they can't get into the into the teaching here yes. without a HDIP. Yes, which is an now, extra two now years. A HDIP is two years yes. and it's minimum 12,000 euro. Right. So, of course, people are going abroad. My own daughter, she's she have a degree in English and history, a nano's degree. She has a master's in history. And she is now in Dubai teaching and sought after out there. Right. But we would prefer, and she'd prefer to be here with us. To be here. And can I ask you why? Is it because she couldn't get a job here? There wasn't enough Without money here? Without the or? HDIP, you cannot teach in a secondary school here. Even though she has a master's? Even isn't though it? she has a master's. You c and the most ridiculous part of it all is she could um, teach in a university here. But not in a secondary but school? But not in a secondary school. And to get into the university, you you really need to have written a book right. to make it. That's really your way in there. Right, right. Your thesis but and uh, yeah. She can teach the children that are coming in her secondary school, in at the next level. Yeah. Does anybody know how that compares to other countries with that notion of the HDIP and something? Does anybody know that? No. No? I I do I don't know, but I I do know of people who went back and did their HDIP and. You know, one of the challenges is going to the Gaeltacht and the cost of staying in Donegal or Connemara or yeah. Kerry. And I mean, I'd love to go down there and stay a few weeks by myself. But a lot of people have responsibilities yeah. and they can't do that in the cost of accommodation down there. And I think if we learned anything from COVID, surely to God, a lot of this could be done online. And, you know, let's have a... a encourage a group of people to get their HDIPs done online and do it in a shorter period of time. Yes. Maybe I, I think that's possible. I think we've seen it in COVID what could be possibly right. done but, online. But we need the will to do, we to need, do something. We need the will. Right. I mean, the need is but there. Is it a storm in the teacup here? Is it, uh, you know, irrelevant talking about the notion of, of career breaks, really? Because it's a much bigger... It's a, it's a much bigger picture. We need more teachers right. uh, and we all need the cost of living to come down and we, we need... We need to look after our teachers, not annoy them, as Peter we, said. You know. We only have six minutes, uh, but I do want to make reference to this because uh, children in, in South Kerry with mental health issues, they've been offered video calls with a doctor based in Abu Dhabi, which, like, I, I find this is absolutely... Now, this is the area as well that had all of that... draw. I think about 1,300 kids um, who were supposed to be looked after by CAMS. They suffered significant harm uh, under that care. 194 children were found to be have received what's termed as very risky uh, a treatment. Can I start with you, Connor, on, on this? Th that notion of things being so bad you need a Zoom call with, with a, a doctor in. I, I think it's, a, it's, it's not a in fact Abu Dhabi. I think it's in the UAE. To a, to a crazy problem. I mean, the, the, the idea that we would be exporting our healthcare 
Um, but just the hospital in Spain, now a mental health facility in Abu Dhabi. I mean, it's kind of nonsense. I mean, we have to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, well, how did we get to this point? I mean, the fact that we've got so many kids so harmed in South Kerry by what went on. Yes. And the best response the government can get is, oh, we'll uh, get you a video call with some, a stranger in Abu Dhabi. Yes, and uh, Edwina pointed out there's still an investigation going into cams all over the country, so we presume that we'll hear about many. stories from yeah. all over the country. Um, Mary, how, how do you feel about this? I mean, do you know... Uh, I think it's, it's utterly indefensible. And I know a few minutes ago I said about conducting the H-dip over... Zoom or whatever. This is a t- on a totally different level. Yeah. This is healthcare. Um, I think this is what happens when a you know a health system is resistant to reform. The whole idea of Slauncher Care was investing in our public health service, sending money to Spain or sending money to United Arab Emirates or outsourcing our health service elsewhere is investing in other people's health services. It's not investing in our health service and it's not looking after our people. I really, I find it abhorrent. Mm. I really, they may not have the staff there, but you've got to ask, why haven't they got the staff and there? And that's interesting because we heard from the HSE on this and they're saying what they need is a consultant psychiatrist to, to oversee everything. And in the near future, there won't be one. That's that's according to the HSE. Yeah, but sure, what we have is a lot of locum psychiatrists yeah. really all over the country. And that's... That's part of the problem, isn't it? That's part of the main problem, but that's just focusing on the health service and the staff. And you you need to look after that staff structure and have trained nurses and doctors and allied healthcare professionals. But if you look at the patient and the patient outcomes, like particularly in the field of psychiatry, it's about continuity of care. Mm. Seeing the same psychiatrist, seeing the same psychologist, that's that's really important. What I'm, that's what I'm told by the healthcare professionals. That's really, mm. really important. And I really don't think speaking to a psychiatrist, no matter how well qualified they are, mm. on a Zoom call for a child, yeah, because, I just really think Because surely really there's hard. nuance there and body language and stuff that you'd have to be I would assume so. face to face with. Um, now, you don't need that for the H-dip, Fran, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but you do yeah, need it for psychiatric <laughs> healthcare. I love it. Peter, what, what did you make? When you heard about this, what did you make of it? Uh, sure, I'll discuss it. It's actually to some insult to the most vulnerable people in our country. Our children. Our children. Yeah. It's an insult. I have no idea. I'm just I, I'm just giving up on the powers that be because I can't figure out how they're coming up with all these these yes. ideas. Well, we can't recruit, Peter. That well, seems to be the, what's... The, the more than likely, the person on the other side of that Zoom call is an Irish person living in Abu Dhabi. Because yes, well, we we don't know that, but yeah. we don't know that. But it's possible because the Abu Dhabi, the people over there, they don't speak English. They're they're different. They're all working in their own more government jobs and everything. Mm. Uh, it's all um, foreign people. W- that, would, uh, would that not be the final irony if <laughs> if it was an Irish person working in oh, the the Emirates and um, but friend, doing a Zoom call likely, back? To... It's more than likely is because when. When I um, when I knew about this topic, I, I I made a couple of inquiries to because my daughter, said, and she said yes, of course. It, when you when you need people out there, they are probably Irish, or some other country. Or ex- from England. Or ex- yeah. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Uh, a listener saying, "I'm a senior psychiatric nurse. Nobody wants to work in cams." It says.
that's just a stark comment from one of our listeners. Liam says, I agree with uh, Peter. I have a daughter working in uh, Dubai, but would prefer to be in Ireland. Excessive cost of accommodation is her particular reason on this. So it is about the bigger picture, isn't yes. it? It is. It is. You know, yeah. Um, where, where are we, do you think, just generally, Peter? Um, and I'm thinking about health and, and every aspect of health as well. Is this fixable? Absolute dysfunction. It needs to be dismantled. And they, we're still dealing with the legacy of the old health boards yes. that we were promised were going to be dismantled under HSE, but still are all there. And then weren't we promised that we'd be going back to something similar-ish to that regional I, sort of board? I don't, I don't agree that it's fully dysfunctional. There are some elements of the healthcare system. Yes. Unfortunately, I've had a lot of experience of it lately. Some elements work extremely well. I think oncology generally works pretty well, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Our our cancer care services are really world-leading, world-leading care. Um, I would disagree. Uh, well, <laughs> I think Vicky Phelan might disagree on that one. That right. is that is separate because that's cervical, cervical check. That check, that, yes. that was that, that I would consider that a separate yes. anomaly and was badly, very, very badly managed. But if you're diagnosed, if you receive a cancer diagnosis in yes. Ireland, your outcomes are pretty much up there with the best in the world. All right, I must sadly leave it at that because we're out of time. But thank you to the super panel. Thanks to Peter and uh, to Mary and to Connor as well. And thank you very much indeed. Emma produced. Uh, Stephen is on the way. And I will talk to you on Monday. And do look after yourselves in the meantime. Thank you. Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.